and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and this is the eighth episode. I feel bad as today I've dragged my guest out of bed this morning on this <laughs> most special of all days, her birthday. And only her 22nd birthday, in fact. Yet, still only 22 and still also a history student at King's College in London, she seems to have been a constant in the British video game and journalism for a while now. She's a freelance writer and has written for publications such as The Guardian, where she also does video content and stuff TV, writing anything from The Dark Knight himself to excellent and poignant pieces on women in video games, pieces that are a sobering reminder to how misrepresented in video games and the industry women actually are. My guest is a regular guest on Sky News, appearing on our TV screens to talk about the latest releases and reviewing new video games. She's also appeared on the CNN International and even the BBC to talk about our wonderful industry and hobby. Each week you can hear her talk about the most random of subjects with her fellow co-host on the excellent Toku podcast. Herself and GameSpot's Katie Gray talk each week about a variety of subjects, anything ranging from strange fetishes to Greek holidays. Sometimes they even talk about games. In 2015, she was nominated for the Games Media Awards Rising Star, and at only 22, there is no doubt she will get chance to win again. My guest today is the wonderful and birthday-celebrating Holly Nielsen. Happy birthday, Holly! <laughs> Thank you. How are you that today? Was, I'm good. I'm good. That was a lovely introduction. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm I'm on a roll with these. That seems to be what everyone's reaction. They're not like, oh, <laughs> you've been snooping on me on the internet. How weird. <laughs> I was just, you have done your research. It's like you know more about me than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> well, it's good. Yeah. So it's your 22nd birthday today. It is. Yeah. And re- what a I... way. I will admit, you've been around for a, like a while, like on my Twitter <laughs> feed, I see people tweeting about you for a few years and your articles now, and I couldn't believe you were only 22 when I found out. <laughs> oh, well, it's my, uh, it's, this is pretty much the, also the anniversary of my second year in games. Okay. So I've been doing this for two years now. Two I years. I started when I was around 20, so yeah. Very good. Awesome. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to ask, how did you get started? Because considering, you know, you've been around for two years already and you are only 22. How did you go from just being a writer and starting out to, you know, the freelancer you are now writing for, you know, The Guardian and appearing on Sky News and all that kind of thing? Well, I, I kind of almost fell into it by accident. I took a year out of uni in between my first and second year yeah. and I ended up doing an internship at Chicks TV. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so, and then after that, they kind of kept me on as a writer, and I did some kind of on-screen stuff for them. And then, yeah, just from there, really, uh, going out and meeting people, pitching constantly. Yeah. yeah just, awesome. you know, if, if I can do it, then anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> it's a tough industry, and, you know, you have to be good, and you have to have the respect from, you know, more veteran writers and it seems that you do have that oh thank you i I hope so (laughs) (laughs) also i really wanted to know about the name toku where did where did toku come from for your podcast and also please tell us about your podcast how did that come about as well yeah well i i do as you mentioned before i do a podcast uh, with kate gray at GameSpot, and uh and yeah it just came out because we're really good friends uh we kind of met through work and in the kind of games industry and got along yeah. really well and we decided we decided we wanted to do a podcast that was wasn't necessarily about games but included games so it was kind of stuff that we find interesting yeah 
and that will sometimes be games because obviously we both work in yeah in industry uh and the name well we couldn't think of a name for ages we really struggled with the name and eventually i literally just put and as someone who lives in japan and teaches japanese children you're gonna just shout at me for this but i literally <laughs> put the word talk into uh google translate <laughs> okay yeah so um, actually yeah. like toku it's, it's like the uh, it's hard to explain it's, it's like, it's like it, the english derivative yes or, so yeah. there will actually be a word for talk and i'm not actually sure yeah. what it is but toku sounds like talk and it'll be the way they spell it in what's known as like katakana which is like foreign characters written in japanese well, there but, we go. That's yeah. a better explanation but than I ever Toku <laughs> in Japanese, if you actually use the Japanese translation, means obtained. Oh. So you're okay. technically running the obtained podcast. Oh, I quite like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick with that because really, we didn't realize because we just picked it. We liked the sound of it, basically. And then yeah. We didn't, we didn't really go for Sounds anything with, with a particular meaning. We just wanted something that kind of sounded nice and. Yeah fit what we're talking about and um we didn't realize it's a it's a kind of a toku is like a, a type of uh, animation or uh tv thing okay. like power rangers is a toku thing so we got loads of people going oh you're going to be talking about like these cartoons ah. and we were just like, no no sorry it was a secret <laughs> ploy to draw in all those secret Japanese animation fans and uh, people who like yeah. parent. <laughs> yeah, we Very had nice. no idea what we were doing. <laughs> and we've just kind of kept with it. We've just stuck with it. And yeah, I know it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, yeah. It's grown it's really big as well. Like you've you've got quite the listenership as well. Yeah, we were we were so humbled and surprised by how well it was received by people because it's literally just us talking. Like my parents tried to listen to it, you know, out of dedication to being my parents yeah and they kind of um and they my mum literally said to me she was like it's just you talking and I, was like, <laughs> I was like yeah that's you know that's what it is what am like, i not good enough for you mother <laughs> yeah and she was just like i've been trying to ignore that for 21 years why are people listening to that and i was like thanks <laughs> thanks mum <laughs> don't worry i kind of have the same sentiment with my girlfriend who tempts to listen to this podcast for maybe about 10 minutes and then she's out <laughs> even though some of the games you have on your list are games she would choose herself still just gone <laughs> also i wanted to ask you, you you were nominated for a gma rising star award last year how how yeah. was that how was that how did that feel oh that was that was awesome like i was on a, a short list of like amazing people so like i went in kind of not expecting to win because the people like I was up against like people like Laura Kate Dale, Pip War, and Kate herself, and I was yeah. like, you know, it was it was amazing just to go and like see people, and it was it was really nice to be like recognised in that way, and yeah. Kate won it as yes. she specifically did, and so like and yeah, and it was just no, it was it was awesome. And then it was really weird though because people kept on coming up to us afterwards and were like, oh, is this going to be the end of the podcast? And I was like. How like frail what? do you think our friendship is? Like it's based on this award. <laughs> it was really weird. We were like, no. Are you no? sneaking? Are you sneaking around her apartment when you're recording the podcast, looking for it? Like this is yeah. mine, my yeah. precious, my award. Every time I go in, I like put it up my jumper, and she has to take it away. And yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. <laughs> very good okay so we're gonna jump into your games now and you've got yeah. 
quite the interesting list. So we're going to jump straight into it and we're going to listen to some music. Okay, Holly. So the first game for your deserted place today is Elder Scrolls Oblivion. The yeah. game released for the Xbox 360 on March 20th in 2006 with a PS3 coming later and next year. Developed by Bethesda, it was the follow-up to the hugely successful Morrowind and it follows the player and, and their efforts to stop the evil cult mythical dawn. Holly, please tell me why. Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Well, it was... In terms of like how I got into it, I was very much, I grew up as a Nintendo kid, as we will see later with some of my choices. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, Oblivion was the first non-Nintendo game that really caught me. Like we got it on complete off chance, like we got a 360 and it came with it. And we were like, yeah. okay, fair enough, like we'll just play it. And I absolutely just completely fell in love with it. Um, I've probably spent around, if I include like all my you know, my playthroughs are mm. over a thousand hours on it. Whoa. Kind of, yeah. Like a lot of time, <laughs> a lot <laughs> of time. Um, so much so me and my brother played it so much that we ended up um, completely destroying the disc. It was completely just gone. <laughs> Both, yeah. And, um, but no, I, I'm, in fact, I'm playing through it again at the moment. Really? Um, yeah, oh, wait, I did, it. did I see you post some screenshots on Twitter? Yeah. Cause I'm playing it on, um, my surface so i'm i'm just amazed i'm playing on what is essentially a tablet which oh, just blows okay. my mind yeah and um but i'm modding it and you know so kind of making it look prettier making yeah. the people look less potato faced because <laughs> that's a big like that's a big thing in the world of oblivion like yeah. cyrodiil the faces Everyone. are all really narrow it's it really it's, creeps me out it's like a it's triangle really the eyes are always like slanted and the mouth is like yeah perfectly in the middle it's really strange yeah. It's very odd. And the wood, I always play as a wood elf in Elder Scrolls games. And the wood elves always have like really square heads for some yeah. reason. Like just perfectly little cuboid things. <laughs> and so, but yeah, so I'm modding it and I'm, oh God, I'm just falling in love with it all over again. Because I'm big, <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a massive Bethesda fan, yeah. you know. And so I was kind of debating with myself as, oh, because, um, well, in fact, it's not a Bethesda game, uh, uh, but uh, New Vegas. Yeah. Uh, is also I love the Fallout series and I think New Vegas is actually one of my favourites which to Bethesda fans people are probably screaming at me and going no you traitor but I I, just, <laughs> I love that game but I thought it had to be Oblivion just because yeah. I think I love the world I think exploring it I, I could spend again I've said I've played this game over a thousand hours and I still go back to it and I still go around and remember things or discover things that I didn't know Um I'm playing it, yeah, I'm playing it at the moment, and I completely forgot how brilliant the quests are. Okay. Kind of, 
I because I played Skyrim and stuff, obviously, and it kind of I felt like Sky, Skyrim is still a brilliant game, but it kind of lost that kind of that kind of edge when it came to the quests. I thought the kind of radiant quest system and uh, the so I think they kind of fell back on the kind of design of the world rather than the design of the quest. So even though when you know, when you in, in Oblivion, there's like three different cave like settings. You know, there are like three different caves that you explore, and you go in them a lot. But yeah. very much like Skyrim, continued that trend where it had basically copy and pasted caves everywhere. Yeah, and Skyrim had a lot more diversity in that aspect. But I feel like Oblivion still feels more interesting to me because when you're going into that cave, you're generally doing something a bit different rather than just. I mean, there is still a lot of the kind of go fetch my family's axe and you'll be like okay farmer i'll go do that for you and you know i'll ignore the massive oblivion gate behind me and help you out with your small troubles <laughs> the hell's will be fine don't worry about it. yeah it's fine let's as get these RPG, crops sorted <laughs> yeah as rpg protagonists are ones to do and and yeah no i think the kind of like for example like the thieves guild and the dark brotherhood have absolutely just brilliant quests in oblivion like really kind of like you know, you do so much more than just sneak. Well, um, you do you do a lot of sneaking and just stabbing people's stuff, but yeah. it's just so much more varied. Like, there's a brilliant quest um, in the Dark Brotherhood in Oblivion where you have to, it's like a dinner party in a house, and you have to go around and, like, um, silently pick off each of these people in, like, as creative ways as possible. So, like, you drop, like, a moose head on one of them, <laughs> set, like, poison apples on another one, and like there's another the there's yeah, there's another one where you have to get on a ship and so you hide in like a box and they take you onto the cargo hold and I really missed that in Skyrim. I thought Skyrim was a little bit po faced for me. Okay. So, again, it's still a brilliant game, but I thought it lost that kind of like slightly dark sense of humour and sort of slightly twisted sense of humour that Oblivion and Fallout have yeah. and Morrowind has. Like um and also Oblivion is like a really unique game for the fact it has the worst and the best DLC in like out of all the games so you have horse armor of course the you know the famous you <laughs> the know famous sheets. horse armor yeah, yeah exactly um but then you also have um shivering isles yes which is just brilliant i remember yeah. playing that and it just completely blew my mind like and i i still think it's absolutely brilliant and i think that's what dlc should be it's this you know if you're gonna do it you know do a thing like that yeah um and no, so I would take Oblivion just because I could literally just sink so many hours into it, you know, on this desert island. Sounds quite nice, actually. I want to go now. Do you reckon <laughs> you could still get by even without mods? Do you, do you, does the game still surprise you? It's difficult because obviously I'm playing on PC now and um, it didn't have a, you can't use a pad on the PC version without using a kind of, uh, X padder or something that kind of yeah DS three two or something yeah it maps the you know the keyboard buttons onto your Xbox three sixty or Xbox One controller whatever it is um, I think I could still play it I could but I've fallen back in love with it with the mods okay and I'm and to be honest I feel like I love what I love about Oblivion, I don't go back to Oblivion because I'm like, oh, the people look so amazing, you know. <laughs> oh, I really love I don't their... think anyone in the history of anyone has ever said that about Oblivion. Exactly. <laughs> and like, it's like, I don't go back going, oh, I love their two lines of dialogue and the three <laughs> voice actors that populate this big world and stuff. Like, no one, no one does that. Like, I go back and when I go back, I go for the exploring and for the quests and things like that. And yeah, I think... If I couldn't mod it, 
I would still go for it, which is just, you know, how much I love this game because it would not look good. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So Bethesda has, a, you know, a track record of DLC and everything mm. is always forgetting about the build quality, let's say, of certain games, Fallout mm. 4 included, but there's always like a quality to it. Do you reckon that's mm. exactly why? Or is it just a personal thing that you attach yourself to it? It just drew on you. I think the kind of, it's, I, I love just the being able, it's such a, an odd thing like games like the witcher 3 have just kind of completely revolutionized rpgs but there's something about a bethesda game and the fact that i am kind of it's so narcissistic like you are the center of this world you know nothing else happens in this world apart from you (laughs) and just the ability just it's so odd but just the ability like pick up a plate or something like i can you know (laughs) you could move anything you know nothing is a static set piece well i mean I say that there obviously is that but it to me it felt like that wasn't the case and it's still like and I still love being in that world and kind of being really submerged in the fact that you know you're not kind of you're not kind of slightly hovering above and looking at this world you're in it and it messes about and the glitches and you know (laughs) it's not you know as much as I love the first games my god do they glitch um yes yes they do but yeah, it's just... It's just almost a part of the charm now. Yeah, Although it's, it's getting a little bit ridiculous in this day and age where we have so many... We have so many polished games, but we also have mm. a lot of broken games, especially games on day one. are mm. notoriously broken. But Bethesda do have that reputation for broken yeah, games. It's, it's odd. Do you feel like Bethesda... Like, when you play a game... Like, when I go back and play Oblivion, you do feel like it is held together by, like, string and goodwill. <laughs> like salutate just yeah, on the cracks exactly but there's something like it's almost like there's something really endearing about it the fact that yeah it's not out of not being finished it's out of kind of wanting to create this massive world and with all these things and when you and have everything in like you can pick up anything and i think when you try and do that of course there's going to be these kind of little bugs and glitches okay. and things like that and that doesn't excuse it but i feel like it comes I don't know, it kind of comes yeah. from a better place. Well, their scope, their scope always yeah. outweighs their, you know, te- like tech, basically. Yeah, and I think I, I, I kind of like that, you know. I would, I, I, again, like, I, I play these games, again, it's not like I even play these games for the combat. The combat is terrible in Oblivion. It's literally <laughs> just wave your arms about. But it's something about the world and the quests. And even if I'm not doing a quest, just traveling from place to place, you know, it just, I, it's, I still absolutely love it. And I think something about Oblivion as well, and the fact that they decided to set it in Cyrodiil, which in Oblivion lore is right in the middle of the um, yeah. of the world. And so kind of each place has, there's lots of very different environments. So you've kind of got swampy environment, you've got mountainous, you've got woodlands, you know, grass, plains and stuff. And like, I kind of, I, I, I absolutely love that. And in Skyrim, although it makes sense to the world that this is a mountainous area and there's not going to be as many cities or, you know, towns and things like that, I just kind of missed it. I missed that variety and I missed kind of the different architecture and stuff. As simple and rudimentary as it was, it still felt like, it was kind of like with Oblivion, my imagination fills in all the gaps and it okay. still does. 
Yeah. And I, I kind of like that. I like the fact that, you know, it's it's not necessarily because it's a great, you know, that's not necessarily their intention. Mm. But when I play it, my because my character is this voiceless potato woman. You have you know, to make everything up for her. Yeah, every, like, her, you know, her reactions, who she is, is completely in my mind. You know, they're kind of patching in bits of the city that perhaps don't quite work or aren't there. You know, it's it's all in the imagination. I kind of like that. It's almost like it kind of gets me thinking and kind of because yeah. there are these gaps in the game, it kind of makes me actively engage with it more because I am, I'm kind of, I'm filling in stuff for it. Yeah. Well, we definitely live in an age now where video games are able to almost tell you a story about everything that's in the game, whether mm. it's like a, an item that has a description or an NPC. Cause almost every NPC is now talking like has uh, script dialogue towards mm. the uh, player um, whereas before NPCs could be static and they would just be there and you would stare at them wondering, <laughs> who are you? What is your name? What are you What's doing here? Purpose? You yeah. don't even talk. You just hold the same nonchalant smug pose. Every time I stroll into town, who are you? Why are you watching me? <laughs> exactly. So maybe, yeah, I would have this on a desert island for the hours I could sink into it and also the fact it would get me thinking. <laughs> I would, I'd be, who are you, potato face man? You know? <laughs> what have you done with Miss Potato Head? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, fantastic. What a good start. What a great start. So we're going to listen <laughs> to some you. music from the next game and I'm going to cough because I'm dying to cough. <laughs> Go for it. Holly, so before we move on to your next game, we I have this new section of the show that kind of started with Andy Kelly a few weeks ago and okay. has now cemented its place since the last episode with Danny O'Dwyer. And it's, you get to choose the deserted place you're stuck in. Ooh, and it has to be from video like games, that. though. So, That's video game. okay. <laughs> yeah. So Danny last week, Danny O'Dwyer from GameSpot, chose uh, the Island of the Witness. Okay, that's, that's um, an interesting Although one. he, he uh, admitted uh, being bad at the puzzles, he said the island was very beautiful and he would like to be stuck there. And before that, we had Samuel Roberts, who was the editor of uh, PC Gamer. He chose Koholint Island from Link's Awakening, the place uh, with the yes. wind fish. And yeah. uh, we had Andy Kelly, where all this started from. He chose the, uh, the ship from Alien Isolation. For some reason. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what? Okay, I 
feel like you should get, I don't know, maybe checked out or looked at. Well, he did say no aliens, but I can't guarantee that I could go up there, fight an alien, and then allow him to live there. Could, could I, really? No, that's The Nostrama is really scary. Why would you want yeah. to? But I feel anyway. very anxious just being there. Yeah, just know? in case, just in case, even though I clarified there was no aliens, there could be one <laughs> still lying about somewhere. Exactly. But, yeah. So anyway, each to their own. But what about okay. yourself? What immediately sprang in your head when you thought of a video game place that you would like to be deserted in? So is this, does it have to be an island or is it, it just mm. a setting Ooh, what, it could be a setting. I mean, it doesn't particularly have to be an island. I mean, a ship okay. and then the Witness Island and then Koholit Island are all coincidentally deserted places. But you could be stuck in maybe a country where there is no one there for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> there's no one okay. there. So you are technically deserted. Well, two immediately sprung to mind. So you said island. So I immediately thought of um, Outset Island from uh, Wind Waker. Yeah. Um, Although it's very and, small, isn't it? Very, very small. Well, that's the thing, but it's just so perfectly put together. Okay. But, um, okay. But then also Nippon in Okami. Ah, uh, okay. Technically Japan. So yeah, the whole of so Japan. Japan <laughs> Edo period Japan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very beautiful. Much. Both are very yeah. beautiful. Both are very yeah. beautiful. So I think, yeah, one of those. If I'm allowed to have a non island, I'll go for uh, Okami. Nippon. Okay. Okay, so we'll say Nippon from Okami is where mm. you were stuck for the purpose of this podcast. Yeah. Let's, let's let's hope that you don't get stuck there in real life, obviously. <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> no, I think I'd get a headache pretty quickly from yeah, the Yeah, all, all the ink swashes and, stuff, but... and all that kind of thing and flowers yeah, growing. I would just, yeah, I'd just be going about just feeding the animals pretty much, <laughs> having that lovely little cutscene with the music. Yeah. <laughs> Would you have the wolf form of Amaterasu? Ooh, now that is tempting. I mean, it'd be difficult to play video games, though, wouldn't it? With your wolf paws, like, slapping on the controller. Yeah, I, yeah no, I think I'd have to be me. Because, yeah, I, yeah, I think I'd struggle to play Oblivion with my little dog paws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to your second game now. And your second game, very similar to the first game, is another RPG, a Western RPG. It was released on November 3rd, 2009 for the PC, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360. Created and developed by Bioware. It's the first game in the Dragon Age series. It's Dragon Age Origins. Holly, please tell me about Dragon Age Origins and why in Nippon you would be playing it. I kind of feel, I feel like I should have mixed up my choices because I've gone straight from a fantasy RPG to another fantasy RPG. <laughs> but um, I assure you that there is more than fantasy RPGs for listener. <laughs> Don't worry. Um... But yeah, no, Dragon Age Origins is one of my, obviously one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of almost the antithesis of why I really like Oblivion. Um, so basically, the reason I love Dragon Age so much is the characters. I just, I, I think Dragon Age Origins has some of the best characters in games, just full stop. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Um, I think it. I, I think it doesn't get as much credit as it deserves. It's often because obviously, like Inquisition came out and it had brilliant stuff in it, but there was I really like there was some aspects of um, Origins that kind of kind of turned it on its head a bit. So slight spoilers if you haven't played. Spoilers or... are okay for this podcast. Yeah, awesome. Podcast okay, cool. So warning sign anyone who's playing Dragon Age Origins <laughs> right now. 
Well, there's a character called Ogren in it, and he's like classic kind of like dwarf, kind of drunk, you know, kind yeah. of like oh, he's very stereotypical, kind of... cliche fantasy. Yeah, yeah, kind of the very kind of you know what you see in every kind of fantasy thing. But it turns out the reason kind of why he's constantly drinking and is running away is because his wife uh, left him because uh, she was an incredibly successful person in this dwarven world and she went off and he couldn't handle her success and her kind of, um, you know, constantly working and stuff. And I just found yeah. that really interesting. And you have a bit where they reunite or you're going out there. As a, and I, I found that just so interesting, the fact that they could have just left it as this, you know, comedy character. And it's actually this really tragic story. And I, I, I found that, I, I just absolutely loved that. And also in terms of like, if I'm playing it on Desert Island, one of my main, Bioware has pretty much created all my perfect fictional men. You know, <laughs> between Mass Effect and Dragon Age, I've got a hell of a selection. Okay. And one of my favorites is Alistair from I was going to say, is it Alistair? Yeah, Alistair. Of course, he's just so lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's so lovely. Um, yeah, it would have to be Alistair. He's still, and you just feel like you could chat to him. And that's another thing I really like. And the fact that you're kind of like, you have this character, you, again, you would look at him and think it's the most boring you know it's just this white straight guy who's a kind of slightly a tank kind of character you know and you could look at that from the surface and think oh my god how boring you know how dull in a fantasy world you could have anything but the reason I really like him is because it really like so again we've already said spoilers it's fine so it turns out that he is you know the illegitimate son of the old king and he has the chance to take up the you know throne if he wants it and he doesn't want it and he kind of freaks out and he goes no no I, I've never wanted responsibility in my life you know <laughs> sounds <I> like me <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't want this you know and he kind of and also like his whole thing is that he just kind of he just kind of really wants a family and like he's never and it's just it sounds really simple when you say it but just kind of subverting that kind of like you know, have someone like that. And yeah. also the fact that... The cliche character- fantasy story of uh, finding an unknown character, like, say, Aragorn, who is, yeah. you know, hiding his real identity. And then, you know, he rises through the hero's journey to become the king. It's exactly. different and, from that. And that kind of idea of nobility coming from, you know, taking up power and responsibility. In fact, this guy is, you know, so lovely, but just is almost just thrown into the situation yeah. and doesn't want it. You know, just, it's just like, no, this really isn't for me. You know? And I, I, I just stuff like that as well. Like there's another great character. I could go on about the character. There's a great character called Wynne who is an old woman and she, um, yeah. And so, yeah. And she kind of look at her and you kind of old women in games have a quite a shit time, you know, that either hags, you know, crones, yeah. you know, or they are kind of, like grandma in Wind Waker, yeah. you know, they're kind of these lovely... Yeah, that's immediately the uh, old woman I thought of. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And she's kind of this brilliant... She's a, just a really interesting character, the fact that she is kind of... She's kind of maternal and she wants to help, but she also is a really powerful mage and yeah. she has a whole history of having an illegitimate child which she had to give up and having... And the kind of guilt over that and, and just like... just these little things that make this world so much more interesting. And also the ability in origin, the reason I chose origins over like Inquisition, which I also really like Inquisition is better in terms of uh, diverse characters. Okay. Like a lot better. 
you know. Yeah. But the reason also of Origins is I quite like the silent protagonist in it, which is odd in a Bioware game now to imagine a silent protagonist. But is it really a bit like more it. coming from your background with Oblivion where you liked filling in the gaps? Exactly. It's that filling in the gaps thing. And it, it and with Origins as well, you can start from a whole variety of Origins, where the name comes from. And I've played through every single Origin of that you can offer so you can you know you can be dwarf human elf yeah. and you could be human noble or you can be like dwarf uh you know kind of um scum basically like villain yeah. outcast or you know and I, I absolutely love that and I just love playing through those things and that you could be all these different backgrounds and it didn't fill it in so much that it wasn't your character you know you always felt like you were playing your character but it just gave you something to work with and something to go with and something that kind of fit in the world and kind of flavoured it a bit more and I just yeah I absolutely love that although my favourite is definitely um the elf uh city city elf because you start off and you are getting married um you'll kind of have an arranged marriage and then you're kidnapped and your your husband or wife is killed and you go and I just <laughs> love and it's just, I don't know I just found that just really just naught to 60 in yeah in like <laughs> no time some of them are quite boring. Like the other elf one, like the Dalish elf, which is like the kind of elves that live in the forest, is pretty, pretty boring. Okay. But, but yeah. I'm trying I to remember just, all I, the different introductions. I mean, I'm most... really sad that we've played them all. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do when you like a game, though. You explore yeah. every avenue. Obviously, exactly. it was a bit different from Dragon Age 2, where it was pretty much the same opening for yeah. everyone. And I found that in intro to be extremely boring. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a great intro. How do you feel about Dragon Age Two in comparison? Obviously, you've said you liked Inquisition and you thought that was a good game enough to almost put it on this list as well. Between mm. Origins and Inquisition, a lot changes. I feel yeah, like yeah, I feel like Origins was always going to be my choice because okay. that's just like one of my favorite games. I think Inquisition is a brilliant game. Dragon Age Two is a really odd one. They kind of felt like it's almost like. It's incredibly rushed, which is odd for a Bioware game. Like, it feels, obviously, they didn't have time to do with it what they wanted to. Again, I think Dragon Age 2 has brilliant characters. I think it has some brilliant dialogue in it. Um, You know, one of the characters, again, that kind of slight subverting. You know, and I like it because it doesn't hit you over the head with the subversion. You know, it doesn't kind of go, oh, look how different this is. You know, (laughs) you could completely miss it and still enjoy an alright game. But you can find it if you want to, you know. It kind of took away a lot of the customized stuff that you could do. It was, like, as you said, in the variety, with Origins, you had all these different intros and multiple pathways through the game, whereas Dragon Age Age 2, sorry, was very similar. There wasn't Mm. much diversity. I didn't didn't mind Hawk as a character. I thought that was all right. I preferred him in Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, he was pretty cool. He's pretty cool when he turns up and, you know, his suave British voice, which is very recognisable. Even I got a little flustered when I heard his voice in English. I think the problem with Dragon Age 2 is just the the environments. You know, if it had the... You are stuck in a city for far too long. You don't get to explore like you do in the other two games. Because even in, in Origins, it's very linear, you know. It is very linear and very corridory a lot of the time. And it's not, you know, 
and that's unusual for me because usually I, I really don't like that in a game. Yeah. I can find that a bit kind of claustrophobic. Okay. But with Origins, I felt like I loved the characters and the setting so much that I was kind of, that it didn't even matter to me. But with with Dragon Age 2, the problem was you were, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't really linear just because it didn't go anywhere. You know, you were literally in one place. And I like, I really like the aspect of kind of skipping ahead, like years, because it's someone else telling a story. Yeah. And so you would skip ahead like a couple of years. And I really like that because then you see the kind of growing, you know, the effects on the characters and the kind of growing. And, and yeah, and I, I really like that. But it was, it was just the environments and things. I, I really like the combat in it. I thought the combat yeah. was quite fun. But yeah, just the environments, the repetitive environments, the yeah, it yeah, it, it kind of it does. I can understand why people wouldn't like it. Yeah, I think there are still brilliant aspects to it, but that just really drags it down. Okay, well, it, it was a strange game to come out of how successful Origins was. Origin was yeah. critically, you know astounding everywhere yeah. giving it nines and tens and, and origins was very much their b team like they weren't expecting it to go anywhere they just kind of worked in it yeah. as kind of like just a kind of side project well it was it was a side project while they're working on mass effect and well it took and it took over six years to develop so yeah. it definitely was sporadic in development yeah and it yeah no it, it's it's a really interesting one and sometimes you kind of think the success of mass effect obviously played into how they thought about yeah. dragon age 2 because yeah. it has gone down that road when I would have quite liked to have seen them gone down the more... I don't know what Origins was doing. Well, Origins but... was a lot more like Baldur's Gate, which was, you know, Bioware games yeah. that came before it. It was definitely the DNA of Baldur's Gate and early Bioware RPGs coming through. Yeah. Whereas Inquisition, of... when you look at it now, um... Inquisition is a lot more like Dragon Age 2 with a little bit of Origins' polish over the top and some elements to that it's a lot more action focused than a little less traditional rpg and more what rpgs are like now yeah exactly mm. but yeah no origins is it would definitely be on there for the company i need company on this desert island and i will get that just to have people talk to, to alistair <laughs> yeah <laughs> just stare at alistair all day long yeah pretty much pretty much i mean it's what i do now so i might as well do it <laughs> he looks very island. refined in uh inquisition I oh think. he's He's, 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 yeah. He looked really odd in Dragon Age 2. He looked really weird. He'd like, he kind of had this, like, he looked like this kind of, like, really chubby kind of, I don't know. I, I, don't, when I think the moral of the story here is Dragon Age 2, we should just forget. Yeah. I mean, it does have merit. Like, again, I think the characters and the writing is still brilliant. Yeah. But, yeah. If it was a standalone game and hadn't had a game before it, like Origins, it would be a very subpar average game. It wouldn't. Yeah, but it wouldn't have offended if, people as much as it did because of how good Origin was. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult one. I feel like sometimes it gets a harsher rap than it perhaps deserves. Yeah, well, that um, comes from the as I said, the the yeah. people finding it insulting that they could make a game like Origins and then bring out Dragon Age Two in such a and quick also turnover stuff as well. Like Mass Effect as well. Yeah, having and it was. I think it's because it feels rushed and unfinished, which yeah. isn't. Which isn't the usual for Bioware, you know. Yeah. Well, speaking of Bioware and good games, we're going to move on (laughs) to your next game now. So let's listen to some absolutely fantastic music. Personal favourite of mine as well.
Okay, Holly, so next on your list is the science fiction action RPG developed by Bioware and published by EA, released in January of 2010 for the Xbox 360 and then a year later on the PlayStation 3, it's Mass Effect 2. The sequel to the highly successful Mass Effect 1, but with some gameplay elements changed and a little bit more focus on the action this time around. Holly, please tell me why Mass Effect 2, one of my own personal favorite games of all time, is on your list. Uh, it's just, it's brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's very self-explanatory. Anyone who's played Mass Effect 2 will in some way understand why it could be on this list. I think Mass Effect 2, more than, I I really like the combat in it. I mean, again, it's not that I don't, I'm odd in that I I rarely go go to games for the combat. Like, I'm not, I I guess because I grew up with, other things about and so that doesn't really play into it but okay. I, I quite like the, you know the combat in 3 was better but 2 is a better game um, you know I really like you know the, I like the story I like the environment I, the characters are brilliant again it's Bioware um, <laughs> I think Shepard works as a voice protagonist really well you know I think yeah. I, I think the universe is really well realised and you know detailed and I'd, yeah I'm just like going like going to Ilium and Omega and things like that. And is it Ilium? God, I can't remember now. Uh, That's terrible. <laughs> I can't forget. I scanned so many planets in that game. I can't even remember. It's yeah, the one, the um, yeah. But anyway, it is. <laughs> before I, I was, I was going to Google that and then realized it would be really noisy <laughs> and a really anti-social thing to do in a podcast. I'm not going to do that. Just, just, just. Hang on a second. Hang on. I need to know this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah mass effect 2 and i feel i feel like i really should have mixed my games up a bit because i'm going to another massive rpg and i assure you there are other choices but <laughs> it does it does diverge quite a lot after this yeah. that's for sure because i was really thinking i was kind of can i put two bioware games in but i thought origins and mass effect 2 are so different and for me they're kind of the best kind of the two the kind of two types of rpg that the uh Bioware does. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they're kind of the epitome of that. Like, they are the best example of that. You know, there's something I really like about the tone of uh, Mass Effect 2. I really like the fact that instead of almost every other, you know, in Dragon Age Inquisition, in Origins, in War, uh, Mass Effect 1 and 3, it's very much like you are going in and it's all happening and there's missions and, oh, no, there's an explosion. Oh, no. And it's just like, and it's very much kind of in your face. Well, Mass Effect 2, it's kind of pensive and you're kind of waiting and you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. And I really like that. And I kind of, I, I prefer it when you have the kind of time to get to know the people on board your ship yeah well it does take a it does take a while to get going but for a good reason you know Shepard has Mm. been revived after being asphyxiated in space and Mm. it takes two years for him to wake up but then everything you learn about during the intro you're like who's this new character who's this who's this Cerberus who's this elusive man who are these people and you know Mm. you're slowly finding out stuff and and it has a brilliant opening yeah exactly uh, like I absolutely love the opening of Mass Effect 2 um, and yeah, and it's, it's the, I think the world is so well realized in that one and getting outside of the kind of, um, you know, the kind of more dubious places in the galaxy and things like that, yeah. I found really interesting. And also kind of, um, 
obviously because they had more money and stuff like that there's more character models there's more different you know aliens about yeah and things like that i really like what mass effect does in that it's kind of like an old in terms of design it's often it's more like old school sci-fi than it is more recent because recent sci-fi like an alien is just a human painted another color you know, and you could say it is, you know, people like Liara and the, yeah. you know, and all that. You could say that is, that's what they But then you have but, people like Rex and... Yeah, and the Hanar, which I yeah. love. The, I think the Hanar are brilliant, you know, and stuff like that. And it kind of feels like there is this kind of like interesting, you know, there is so much more to the galaxy than just humans painted blue, you know, and stuff. And even then there's like all the kind of stuff like, oh, maybe they're kind of, they're they they appear to us attractive to how we would find them and things like that. It's like that you only find that out from a really from a uh, a small conversation between three people in a bar and yeah. you just hear them and they're going like, oh no, you know, she obviously looks like Kroger and they're going, oh no, don't be stupid. She looks, you know, she looks like a Turian. <laughs> it's like she's obviously human and they're like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, how the and fuck so, do you get I, a Krogan and a human mixed up? Come on. And it's just, Oh, and I just love that. Like, that's, you know, that little bit. And also it has, again, this is terrible. I'm, you know, I'm not choosing these games because of the men involved. But it does have <laughs> Thane and Garrus, who I both love yeah. dearly. They so, are two of the best male... Every time I think of, like, good male protagonists that aren't, like, your traditional type mm. a male, human white yeah kind rough of kind of yeah. yeah it's a shame that you have to have an alien to be a good mm. protagonist it can't be like <laughs> a, a you know a, a non-white person yeah but when you look at garris and yeah things really cool he's like this he's basically like a ninja he yeah he, he sneaks like in and he assassinates you and yeah and you know he's, he's dying and the fact so. that, yeah that's you know spoilers yeah, yeah. <laughs> again you, you know he's dying and he has that kind of and the bit I really like the, um, you know, kind of, you can kind of question Bioware on their kind of romance stuff, you know, because it is, you know, it's very formulaic. It's very much, you know, I talk to you. If only talking to people like a few times a day for like yeah. a week meant that you could have sex with them a week yeah. later. If only. Take them on, take them on like a dangerous mission and they just love it. You know? I'll show you the ropes, baby. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Let me take you to Mars and we'll get some combat and no dinner, no it. nothing. Yeah. Let's just get into a firefight, then into bed. <laughs> and it's just, again, I forgot to mention this with Origins, but Origins, just uh, to quickly go back, yeah. there's a brilliant thing in the fact that it does, you know, who you romance and how you romance someone in Origins can you know, it can decide whether your character live or dies at the end of the game. You know, it has that kind of impact. And I really like that. I really, I really, really like that about Origins and the fact that, you know, you, it is still a formulaic and, you know, kind of, it's, you know, it's not as nuanced as it could be by any stretch of the imagination. But I like the fact that it has an impact on the world and on a character more than just, okay, here's your sex scene, enjoy, and then, you you know, you go off. But um, Mass Effect 2... Uh, there's a the scene with Thane if you romance him and he yeah. kind of says you know like oh I'm actually really scared of dying you know and I'm really ashamed of that and I just I don't know it's just really lovely and brilliant and yeah 
it's it's and it's an absolutely <laughs> fantastic game i you know it's one i need to go back and play actually it's the only game it's one of the only games i've hundred percented i don't do that very often there are far mm. too many games in this lifetime for me to play and especially these days where most games are actually pretty good now um to 100% them but mass spec 2 is one of the only games i got all the achievements for i scanned every planet for every mineral wow that um, is that's dedication yes it's one of the only games <laughs> i've ever done that um mm. i truly do think that that is one of the finest rpgs mm. ever made and the combat and, and everything just ah it's a good game good game there's that there's that brilliant uh was it dlc i can't remember i'm not sure if it was where it was a mission and you go and it's really scary like you're going along and it's this like weird abandoned map thing and every now and again like the tvs or the screens like start going static and there's this man just like screaming at you is that the broker the no it's the one and it turns out it was uh, a scientist who'd used his autistic brother basically wiring him up as a computer and using his you know his kind of brain basically and you find this poor you know guy yeah completely and it was just it's so tragic and just again just really brilliant little you know uh mission and stuff and yeah it's one i'm definitely gonna have to go back and play i haven't played it in a while actually i'm looking at it on <laughs> i haven't shelf played now, it i haven't like, played it since wow. i was in university and that was two years ago so i haven't played it for a while but, but it is, speaking it is. of Mass Effect then and the combat, Mass Effect 3 obviously came out and was a lot more focused on the combat. And we all know the story of Mass Effect 3. There was a lot of backlash. A lot of people didn't like it. And it's obviously seen as the black sheep of the family out of mm. the three games, much like Dragon Age 2 is in the Dragon Age series. How did you feel about Mass Effect 3? Uh... There are some absolutely brilliant bits in Mass Effect 3. There, um, I think the combat is brilliant. I really enjoyed the combat in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Um, there are some really brilliant bits, like the bit where Morden dies, where he's like <laughs> singing the song to himself and he's like desperately trying to save. I thought that was so good. It's not the saddest part, though. The saddest part, and I will hate my friend Alan for always and forever when I was playing with him, is when you choose either the Geth or Tally. Oh yeah, and then if yeah. you choose the Geth, Tally kills herself, and I was like, "No, Tally, no!" <laughs> she was my favorite, and he just m- murdered her, and I was like, "How could you do that?" How could so, you? <laughs> so sad. I'm so angry. I wouldn't speak to him. She was my it's favorite. Just, oh, everyone. See, I had Bane and Garrus, but yeah. I cursed that. Tally is a good one, but um, she's so yeah. sweet. You know, you don't just... see her face, and she just has this cute little voice. And oh, oh and then, but then Mass Effect Three ruined it by literally taking a picture of a woman, a, a woman, you from... Google woman, <laughs> and then just like chopping one of her fingers off. Because like, why? Why would you do that? I remember that it was like a stock image you could find on Google, couldn't you? Yeah, and they just put it in like a picture frame or something on. Yeah, just like slightly <laughs> blurred it and made it blue. And chopped so you think Naughty Dog is bad for putting Uncharted art in the Uncharted 4 uh, Uncharted art? Assassin's Creed art in the Uncharted 4 trailer? No, 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 no. Bioware was doing this way before. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And there's there's some, as I said, there's some brilliant bits in Mass Effect 3, but they kind of, it doesn't hang together. Like, it doesn't like, again, you have to kind of suspend your disbelief for all of these games, you know. None of these games, like, I wouldn't sit and read a novel of the plots to these games you know but 
Mass Effect 3 really just jarred. It was like, why would people care about Earth? First of all, why do I care about Earth? It's a place I haven't been to in this game. It's a place I'm told is basically a shithole, you know? It's like, so I don't really care about it. Why would all these other aliens whose homes are getting destroyed care about it? You know, why would, you know, there's just so many. And the, as, as, a, as a kind of Thane fangirl, it was the worst, like, his death scene is really good. It's quite touching. But the yeah. way he dies, like the fact he is, he has a gun and he's fighting a man with a sword and he runs at the man with a sword and gets impaled. And it's like, well, duh, what were you expecting? It was the most like stupid, like I literally, I was playing it and I was like, that's it. I'm out. Fuck this. I, I, this. I can't handle this. It's no. And just, yeah, just like those things. And then the ending, the ending is an odd one because I, I obviously, along with a lot of other people, I don't like the ending. I kind of feel like I kind of wonder I don't know if this is this is probably way too conspiracy theory and stuff because okay. the ending's really odd, and I kind of wonder if the whole point of the ending was it that it was you getting indoctrinated, because there's a bit where like, you know, um, Admiral oh god what's his Hackett. name yes Admiral Hackett is wounded and he kind of clutches his side and then you look down and there's blood on your hand even though he's not wounded there and there's all this kind of weird stuff and I kind of wonder if it was originally meant to be that's just Shepard getting indoctrinated and they kind of, and there was such a backlash that they had to kind of go, oh, I don't know, here's something else, take it, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> that, is, it. that is interesting. That is, that's quite the diversion from what it actually is, so. Yeah, and, but yeah, I feel like it was, I thought Mass Effect was at its best. I mean, there are some, again, there's some brilliant, like the ending to one, and stuff when you emerge or the ending to two and stuff it's like there is some brilliant stuff in it but yeah my favorite bits of mass effect is when it's the waiting around when it's the talking the and talking, the exploring the citadel uh, that kind of thing yeah and they kind of and to really make the kind of third one kind of all like in your face and kind of oh look all this stuff is happening you've got yeah. like an hour to solve yeah. the world you need and to get 50 percent of the council's approval to do anything fucking yeah, go do and- missions for them on every planet known to man Exactly, and it doesn't, that kind of adding that sense of urgency in a game like that just doesn't make any sense, you know, it's kind of like, it's, yeah, it's kind of, oh, sorry, I've just been reminded, it's Captain Anderson, Captain oh, Anderson, okay. that's yeah. it, it's Admiral Hackett, isn't it? Admiral Hackett, know. yes, yes, Anderson is, it's Anderson. Uh, Shepard's, guy yeah, 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 so Hackett's like, the, oh, the old grandpa guy, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I played it a while, but yes, it's it's Anderson. Luckily, my brother literally just came in there and was like, "Anderson, Anderson!" <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and then, but yeah, I haven't played this game a little while. Okay, so you know, to excuse myself. I, hey, I was wrong as well. I was wrong as well. So <laughs> maybe yeah, we yes, should quit. This is it. We're not deemed worthy for done. the video game industry. That's it. Our careers are over. I'm, I apologize. I dragged you down with me. <laughs> Just quickly before we move on, speaking of yes. endings, actually, the one thing I actually was kind of disappointed in with Mass Effect 2 was the ending. And the yeah. the suicide mission was awesome and all that kind of thing. And the build up to that was amazing. And the, you know, the emotions you felt like, oh, God, is everyone going to make it? Who knows? But then you basically face off against the Terminator. 
Yeah, I found. Have you seen the original concept art for what they were thinking it would look like? No, I haven't. Um, what, what was it? Because it's it's basically a fetus, like a really weird ah, fetus. A I bit like Earthbound. Would, yeah, that would have been so much cooler. Well, it like, would have been but, a lot more disgusting and definitely like, whoa, what the yeah, hell? I think I'm trying to remember the story because I remember we had the art book and the reason I thought they thought it would be too distasteful or something like that. But I thought that would have been awesome. Like this really weird, because that's the whole point of it. It's really weird. And then you end up against this big like half human. It's like, oh. Yeah. uh, It's just basically the Terminator. Yeah. And also it never, it isn't really addressed in three. Like where's all the... I don't know. Yeah. All the Reapers that look like Turians or all the... I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it wasn't, it was an odd final boss. I will, yeah. Definitely. That was one of my major disappointments with the game. Overall, though, superb. Unbelievable. Yeah, really well, cool. we're going to do what we always do on this show, which is go from one extreme to another, and we're going to go from space to farming. <laughs> so we're going to listen to some music from your next game. <laughs> Okay, Holly, so going from Mass Effect to your next game, which was developed by Marvelous Interactive and published by Nintendo for the Game Boy Advance, it was originally released in Japan in April of 2003, and it received a European release on March 26, 2004. It's the first game in the Story of Season series and is a remake of the PlayStation title Harvest Moon Back to Nature. It's Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town. Holly, why do you want to be a farmer? <laughs> Okay, I've played a lot of Harvest Moon games. I've played so many. I spent so many hours. And Friends of Mineral Town is the best one. I will argue it is yeah. the best one. Okay. It is, um, it, so I spent, again, I spent hundreds of hours in this game. Yeah. And it's a thing. I, first of all, I love the way it looks. I think the sprite art is absolutely it's gorgeous. gorgeous. And it's, That's and definitely it's one some, of the things about Harvest Moon, especially is, the Game Boy Advance mm, games. They had it has aged so well. Yeah. And that's why I'm kind of disappointed. I'm playing Store of Seasons at the moment, which is technically a Harvest Moon game. It's but the, that's the new 3DS game, isn't it? Yeah, they couldn't... They It's an odd licensing thing where it's called Harvest Moon Store of Seasons in Japan, in Japan but yes. they couldn't use it in yeah. Europe because there's some god-awful Harvest Moon. I do own the Japanese copy somewhere. I think I bought it's, it when I first arrived. It's a brilliant game, and I really like the mechanics in it, but it looks... To me, it looks kind of ugly. It's, an, it's not a good-looking game. And I kind of wish they'd go back to that kind of sprite art because yeah. it's so gorgeous and it looks so lovely, and it, it it still looks great now. Yeah. And the reason, so it's like 
it sounds like when you describe it to people, it's a really hard sell. You know, it's basically... <laughs> well, it is. You're doing hard graft for on a game. Yeah, and it's quite... And especially compared to now, it's it's a tough game. Like, say, like, in that game, which you don't get anymore, like, if there was a hurricane, it could destroy your, you know, your chicken coop and kill your chickens, you know? Uh, or, your, you know, wild wolves, wild dogs, if you left your kind of your animals out unprotected, yeah. wild dogs come along and, you know, attack <laughs> your animals and things like that, which you don't get anymore. Because, I don't know, maybe they thought... Because it's a twee game, but it's a difficult game at the same time. It is. It's you really know, maybe, hard to make a profitable farm, which is the aim of the game. Yeah. And then also, you know, to kind of get married and have a family yeah. and all of that. And the reason I really like Friends of Mineral Town, first of all, there's like... Again, that kind of added kind of difficulty, that kind of thing where things could just go wrong and you know what, fuck you, you know, just deal with it. <laughs> Start it's again it. from year yeah, one. Exactly. You know, you may be on year 10, but I've just destroyed your golden chicken. <laughs> um, and, st- and it's it. Um, it's, it's just, oh, it's just so lovely. And it is just that you can just sink into, and it does that. It perfectly mixes that kind of repetition yeah. and gain. Like you kind of, you know, you are repeating your chores and your water and things, but just kind of seeing slowly turning a profit and being able to invest that or kind of having a, um, a festival coming up in the calendar and focusing on that. And just this, it just, it just balances that absolutely perfectly. And before you know it, you've spent, you know, 50 hours, you know, developing this farm. Yeah. And, and also I really like the kind of, the different setting I, I kind of liked having the town then you had the mountain area and just like there was loads of just little things like if you throwed an egg into the hot spring you'd get a boiled egg back <laughs> like it would just throw a boiled <laughs> egg back at you and there was like the that's ma- how like, biology works come on Holly. yeah that's how it works <laughs> and like there was stuff like in um so the seasons kind of really had an impact so in winter you couldn't really grow crops at all yeah so you would go and there was places you could only get to in winter because the lake would freeze over and there was mining and the mining was hard as balls it was difficult it was really difficult like you could fall down a hole and just die well not die run out of stamina but you would be gone for the rest of the day and stuff like that and it was just uh really really good and there was still stuff i played it for hours and hours and i remember still looking back and being like how do I like open this door? What does that do? Or like, how do I get this and stuff like that? And a game that does that, like after that amount of time and I still want to play it, I don't find it just completely, you know, like yeah. soul destroying or, you know, yeah. frustrating. Well, it's really strange it's because it is brilliant. a game, as you said, it's hard sell. And when you describe it to everyone, they're like, what? What? But it received such good reviews and was in, it was praised for how good and in how engrossing it was in its gameplay. Mm. It is. It just, it balances it so well. I think better than almost all of the games out of any of the Harvest Moon games, personally. Yeah. And also, there are some good ones on that were on the GameCube and stuff, but I personally, I can only play a game like that on handhelds. Well, I was going to say, because uh, Mineral Town offered connectivity with Oh, uh, Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life, which was the GameCube game, wasn't it? You could yeah. connect the two. I can't remember what you could do. Was it you could see your farm or something, or you could share items? I completely forget what something it was. Something like that. Sometimes, like, the villagers would, you know... There was a thing where I remember the first one to come out on the DS. It was also quite a good game. It was Harvest, Harvest Moon DS, which was creatively called. And if you had the kind of um, Game Boy Advance cartridge in, like, the characters of that game would, like, come and visit that one. Stuff like that. 
but I feel that Friends of Mineral Town just really just hit the nail on the head of it and it kind of got that difficulty and reward system just yeah. perfect okay. and it's just yeah brilliant if you like <laughs> and it's you kind know, of when you mention farming games now a lot of people go straight to kind of you know farming simulator or things yeah. like that and of course it's not a simulator at all there is literally nothing realistic about it no, whatsoever it was like a, it was almost like a micromanaging rpg yeah it was it's oh it, it, it's a fantastic game and it's really weird there are some really odd things in it like you know like if you would look at your tv at 3 a.m uh you know 30 degree minutes past there'd be like an alien broadcast and just like really <laughs> in kind of older games like that especially japanese yeah. games just be this really weird unexplained stuff yeah that just is there and i really <laughs> like that i love about that you know maybe it's something maybe it's not it's probably nothing well that's but... the thing it's one of those going back to your imagination thing it's like there's an alien broadcast happening why why yeah. is this happening tell so me more not. please and it yeah it's a i i you know i think story of seasons what i'm playing at the moment is for kind of newcomers it's a brilliant game but yeah. if you kind of love that then if you can get your hands on friends of mineral town just it is absolutely brilliant and it's gorgeous and it will you will lose time and you will cry when a chicken cries, you know, dies. <laughs> Not cries, why would a chicken cry? But yeah, and also your animals, which they do, they die of old age. They do. But they do it earlier than they do in these other games now. And I remember going, and you have like a funeral. Like you wake up in the morning and it's raining and you're standing over a grave and like the priest is like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Rovers like, died, oh I'm God. sorry. Rovers died. <laughs> so sad <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of story of seasons at the moment in uh the most recent days there's been stardew valley on steam mm. do you know about this yes i need to play it everywhere. yeah because this is getting this is this is blown up this game is one of the top sellers on steam on twitch it's like yeah, the fourth most that. watched game on twitch and it is a game completely inspired by harvest moon it is a oh, homage yeah. to harvest moon um yeah so as really, you said you haven't played it yeah. you're gonna play it uh, yeah no i'm really interested to play it i'm i'm really interested because it sounds like uh, i play quite a lot of rune factory but i feel like rune factory doesn't quite get the farming right enough for me like yeah rune factory is like, uh, another 3ds game isn't it yeah rune factory and also there's been quite a few of them and it's kind of like harvest moon meets a uh, more traditional kind of rpg in which yeah. you can go in dungeons and fight yeah. monsters and things it reminds like that. me a lot of uh did you ever play reseteer on the on the steam no i didn't it was like an rpg where you owned a shop and the yeah. items you sold in the shop were the items you found in the dungeons like a normal rpg yeah. So it was this really cool idea where you owned a shop, but if you're running out of items, you had to go into a dungeon and, you know, defeat monsters and get loot like you would in any other RPG. And then mm. instead of like going to a shop and selling them, you actually sold them in your storefront. Room Factory reminds me a, a little bit more of that. Because it's, uh, I'm interested to play Stardew Valley because whenever I've seen it, I'm just kind of, a part of me, the kind of horrible defensive kind of part of me goes, it's just friends of mineral town like i remember <laughs> i does. saw someone i it saw someone a uh, like yeah. tweet a picture and i was like it's just a slightly less good looking version but i'm really i really want to play it because i'm sure like of course it's going to be brilliant you know people oh, aren't gonna, i think it looks gorgeous i really I think, like it 
I think it does look good, but I'm best, I'm all about the sprites. The sprites. Are <laughs> but I am. I'm really interested to play. I'm really interested to see what it does. Um, yeah. Yeah. What 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 it does that is different. I don't know. And because well, people me, are giving it time, good good reviews and stuff, so exactly. it must be doing like, something right. Exactly. I feel like Friends of Mineral Town for me is the Harvest Moon game. Yeah. So I'm excited to play this kind of something that's been inspired by that and then yeah. hopefully, you know, takes it even further or adds something else in. So I am really looking yeah. forward to playing it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get it. You're going to get it. And there's multiplayer yeah. coming to it. So we can check each other's <laughs> farms out. Yeah. See who's, see who's the top farmer in this, in this yeah. industry. <laughs> Who chickens have not died. Yes. <laughs> They will be mine for sure because I, I, I don't like chickens, so I won't care. <laughs> what? Oh, okay. I'm, I like I'm eating chickens, but they're noisy. Okay. They're I so noisy. They're My so girlfriend's mother owns, has a farm, and she has chickens, and they're so noisy. And the male chickens are horrible to female chickens, and they well, yeah. tear all the that, feathers out. I oh, hate it. That's <laughs> hate why you them. don't have male chickens, and you just have lots of lovely female chickens. That's true, and you get lots of lovely eggs as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on to your next game, which we've kind of already spoken about. So let's listen to some music. Okay, Holly, so before we move on to your next game, uh, we have the listener question of the week, which is something that started last week as well. It's a new kind of segment. And uh, I basically asked people on Twitter if they have like a deserted island based question, something related to games, but also deserted island. And last week we had um, what game would Danny hate to be on the island? So you have your eight games and then there's a, like a ninth game, but it's a game you despise. And uh, he like chose the enemy. Yeah, he chose Destiny, so he did okay, not. Fair. He did not want Destiny on his island. That's so fair enough. this week's question comes from uh, a friend of mine called Adam Doyle. Uh, he's a former colleague of mine, and he uh, asks, uh, "What game do you reckon would drive you to insanity the fastest if that's all there was to Ooh. play on a deserted island?" That is a really good question. Yeah. What game have you played that you think is so, I don't know, repetitive or just, oh, this is going to drive me crazy if I played it? Because it's the only game you have, so you're pretty much forced to play it anyway. But it would drive you into insanity quicker. I feel like the easy answer to something, like the first thing that would come into my head is something like Candy Crush, where you would just go insane. Especially because you have to wait to get you know to play it again you should be like shaking your phone like for fuck's sakes i've got nothing to do just come on yeah either that or oh 
That's a really good question. Maybe something like, hmm, if I only had to play it. Oh man, I'm just looking at all my games now, but then why would I have it if, I, if it would drive me to insanity? Maybe if it was the only thing I had to play. Maybe something like Mario Maker, because I'm so bad at designing <gasps> the levels. Okay. It would really annoy me because I just <laughs> want to play a Mario game and I'll just have my own shitty levels that I'm terrible <laughs> at designing. So no, yeah, now I'm going to go for Mario Maker. Okay, that's insulting. No, I love that game. But no, I understand game. your sentiments. I understand yeah. your sentiments. It's a brilliant game. Yeah. But if it was the only thing I had to play and because I'm so bad at it, it would drive me mad. <laughs> well fantastic well thanks to adam for that question that's a really good question that's really good okay so we're gonna move on to your next game it's a game we've already spoken about and it's a game where you are deserted in it's okami originally released in japan on april 20th 2006 and then a year later on 2007 in europe for the playstation 2 it received multiple ports including a version for the wii and the playstation 3 Developed by the now-defunct Clover Studios and directed by famous Twitter blocker himself, Hideki Kamiya, players assume the role of the beautiful wolf goddess of the sun, Amaterasu, and players use the celestial bus to interact with Amaterasu's surroundings to solve puzzles and for use in combat. So please, Holly, you're based in Nippon, you're deserted in Nippon. Why have you yeah. chosen Okami? Oh, it's just... It's because... Basically, I'm a massive Zelda fan. I'm a huge Zelda fan. And yes. <laughs> I would only play Zelda. When I was younger, I would like only play Zelda. I was like, no, I only play Zelda. And <laughs> my brother convinced me. He was like, no, Kike, you, if you like Zelda, you're going to love this game. And I was like, fine. And we only had, because as I mentioned, the first PlayStation I ever owned was a PS4. Um, Whoa, so I, really? Yeah, yeah. So okay. I played, because we were Nintendo kids and then we had a 360 and... Yeah, we just had that for a long time because obviously you know can't really afford to get yeah every single console about and um but yeah and so we had I played it on the Wii and even with the terrible controls I yeah hated the, controls the controls on the Wii version were very very mm, I don't know the combat was awful it yeah was, it just the, it I, didn't work the drawing though. was all right but the shaping it just didn't work yeah, yeah. and um. I still absolutely loved it. And since then, I bought a secondhand PS3 and I have played the HD version, yeah. which is just brilliant. It's like, I think that... <coughs> I think sometimes the comparisons to Zelda kind of inhibit both the games a bit because they are different. The overworld stuff in Okami is a lot better and the dungeons of Zelda are generally a lot better, but they're, they're so different, it kind of doesn't matter. You know? Yeah. There, there is... It's kind of easy... Because I think Kamiya said... You know, he wanted to create a Zelda-like game. Yeah. A lot of people kind of make that kind of, oh, they kind of do that, oh, it's the best Zelda game ever kind of joke. And mm. it's not, but it's a, it's a brilliant game, but it's a different, it's not a Zelda. I don't know. I, I just I kind of feel like comparing two games in that way is kind of restrictive yeah. for it both the games involved. It holds up on its own, even if you didn't compare it to Zelda. It's such a superb game that without the comparisons it's good enough because it had this inventive idea of this celestial mm. brush that you use and you know pausing the combat to like draw on it with the uh analog stick and stuff was so cool and it's just it's so gorgeous it's yeah. you know it's the classic example i always give for art style over graphics yeah you know i'm kind of a, you could probably tell for the apart from like oblivion you know <laughs> i kind of I'm, i much prefer kind of interesting art style yeah like art direction yeah Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know actually okami is an art style that's heavily inspired by uh japanese uekiyo block 
painting, which is where mm. Japanese painters paint with blocks and then on the blocks. And it features an ink wash art called sumio, which is like a traditional Japanese ink painting. It's so beautiful. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. And it's, so yeah, and I played it and I was just blown away by how it looked. And I think the world is it's gorgeous. And it's interesting. I really like the humor in it. It has a great sense of humor. Um, it just, like, going back and playing it when I was playing the HD um, remake uh, recently, the kind of, it does have a lot of, it's a cameo game, so there's a lot of very kind of busty, you know, ladies, or lots yeah. of lots of, lots of of cute babes. Yeah. Basically, Issen in it, so Issen is like your kind of companion character, and he's basically cameo. It's like you're playing <laughs> the game with cameo, that's how I see it. But there's, but there's kind of something about it that I kind of feel like it doesn't, I think the fact that it's such a small thing but made such a huge difference to me when I was playing it as a you know when I was younger yeah um the fact that you're okay you're a wolf but you're a goddess like the fact that people are just using you know kind of she and the kind of and stuff and you are female like I don't know did you know in the American version it's actually gender neutral is it she I had no idea Amaterasu is never referred to as she it's as that's you would refer really to an weird. animal, it yeah. That's really weird. I wonder why. Can you imagine Amaterasu being anything else other than a female? Because I can't. No, she I is can't. the goddess of the sun. Yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. That's really odd. I wonder if it would have been the same the other way around, but I don't know. I guess we'll never know. But um, but yeah, no, and also just the world. I I really like the combat in it. Playing it without the stupid waggling Wii remote. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, again, yeah, and just that, that really kind of nice sense of humor. And yeah. it's just a gorgeous, complete thing as a game. You know, it's this brilliant experience start to finish. And it's a lot longer than I always forget how long it it's is. It's incredibly it's long. It's 40 to 50 hours. And that's one of the major criticisms with that game is towards the tail end of the game, it does start to drag a little bit. Yeah. The overall experience is fantastic. That. But when you get to the final few bits, it's starting to show its pacing mm. issues a little, almost like Zelda, because Zelda's never mm. been the best game at pacing. The series mm. as a whole, I feel, has never been the standout for pacing, let's put it. And Okami kind of follows the same suit, and it does, towards the end, have extra padding that doesn't need to be there. Mm. It's, yeah, I could see that. But there's there's that amazing bit... If I'm on a desert island, I'll be happy. Yeah, it won't matter. You know, extra content, bang for your buck, even though these games yeah. are technically free, but you pay with them with your life. Being exactly. Stuck on them. That's, well, that's <laughs> slightly grim. <laughs> <laughs> but, and there's that amazing bit where I remember playing it as younger, and my brother played it before me, so he knew it was coming up, but he didn't say anything. And where you kind of defeat Orochi for the first time. Yeah. And you... I don't know, kind of everything that you know about these type of adventure games is telling you that this is the end. This is the final boss yeah. and it'll go. And then all it does is just open up the rest of the world and this, you know, kind of, and it goes, oh, and I love the fact that it's like, oh, well, what do we do now? And it's like, oh, might as well go explore a bit. And just that kind of, and I remember playing that first time just being like, what? That's, that's what is this? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> oh, just oh, so, so brilliant. Well, the it's design difficult. of Orochi as well, he was like this, multi-headed mm. beast and he's so fucking epic in scale and everything it's beautiful yeah, as well each of the heads at. had different yeah. like headdresses depicting what kind of element they were yeah. meant to be and, and it's like you spend the whole game behind amaterasu camera wise but you're mm. very very close 
to mm. the you know the back of her but then as yeah. soon as you go into the boss fight with uh, orochi you know it zooms pans out, out and yeah. zooms out and you see the full scale of orochi in comparison to mm. amaterasu this tiny beautiful little white pup that is like <laughs> stuck in the middle of the screen it's just i remember the environments as well like going like the um, the kind of wooden area with the lakes and yeah. the kind of it's gorgeous oh my god it's so beautiful i want to go i want to buy the hd version now to play it because i didn't actually play the hd version the only version it is really good well again i didn't play the original though so i don't know i never had this too so it's funny because as you said you think with the wii version the controls would work because it it does require a lot of drawing and that kind of Mm. thing but it worked so well, even on the PlayStation 2 with the analog stick back in the day, you could precisely input, like, your drawings and that kind of thing. It was so cool. Yeah, it was, and just, oh, the, the combat was so much better, and yeah. there's just the kind of, there's just the right amount of collectibles for me and stuff like that, and and also with a game like that, you want to spend more time in the world, like, yeah. you want to explore, and you want to have an excuse, basically, to go and look at things and yeah. stuff like that, so collect, collectibles can be a bit of a hit or miss for me, but with that, it really, oh, brilliant. Just, yeah. It's difficult with these games when you love them so much to kind of almost talk about them rationally. It's kind yeah. of like... The biasness kind of, is difficult to get over, Yeah, really. to stop yourself from just gushing all this emotive <laughs> stuff that is no use to anybody. But yeah, that's that's what it's like for Okami for me. Yeah. Like, kind of, um, it was it was a bit like oblivion, the fact that it was a massive eye-opener in terms of what games had to offer. Yeah. You know, in... in cause, what was possible oh, yeah and kind of what i had almost yet to come like in okay. front of me and it was like a I premonition think, of what you're getting yeah at. it was almost like my orochi moment where <laughs> i thought i'd done it and then there's this whole other world <laughs> waiting for me awesome well one thing that did depress me when i was re- writing notes about okami because i haven't played it for a long time it was the least commercially successful winner of a Game of the Year award ever and yeah, actually it, was featured in the Guinness World Record for that award, which is such a depressing award to be given I know, to Okami. I know. It's, it's amazing how unsuccessful it was. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's bizarre looking back now because it is such a classic. Yeah, but it's definitely, yeah. it's funny because it almost, it, it blurs the line between cult and universally known because everyone i've ever spoken to really like obviously i'm exaggerating a little bit but when i generally speak to people about video games okami comes up everyone resoundly is like yeah love that game that was a great game Mm. it's like why wasn't anybody buying it at the time (laughs) (laughs) what were we doing well it it only well it sold about seven hundred thousand copies i think which is less than a million which is Mm. you know crazy but yeah. that did warrant a sequel, and it did get a sequel for the DS called Okami yes, Den, which yeah. was also a great game. Yeah, but that didn't sell ad- very well either. No, it is an adorable little game. It is, and yeah, the des- the design of the gods as well. I love the um the cutscenes you get when you first see the gods, and some yeah. of them are like really noble and stuff, and then there's like like uh and then there's stuff where like they just like fall over and things like that, and just like I love the sheep that just falls asleep. <laughs> but it is it's just brilliant and it has that slight like kind of quirkiness to it i guess for one yeah. of a better word and that kind of the weird stuff with the aliens and like this outer space stuff and yeah no it's 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 a fantastic game yeah it's great 
Okay, so we're going to move on to your next game, which is also very different once again. So we're moving into a bit more variety from Yeah, we've got RPGs. RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> this is also a game that came in last minute as well. It was a, yes. a change you made to your list, but we're going to roll with it. So let's listen to some music. Okay, Holly. So the yeah. next game on your list was released in 2004 in September. Uh, I can't believe it's been that long since this game was released now. It was developed yeah. by Maxis and published by EA. And it was originally released for PC with subsequent releases on pretty much every platform out there, including the DS and even the Game Boy Advance. It sold over 6 million copies and it was the sequel to the hugely commercial successful Sims. It's Sims 2. Holly, yeah. why Sims 2? Well, as you said, I kind of swapped out last minute because originally I had a game called Mini Metro, which is a fantastic kind of like puzzle game, which I thought would be good for a desert island because I find it really soothing. But then I was talking to a friend of mine and we used to play it together when we were younger. And and I was just like, oh, my God, of course, The Sims 2. How can I forget that? I have it on my surface. And even still, every now and again, I still go back and play like a couple of hours, you know, even like and that's just I God knows how it still captures me the amount of I've played it and just rinsed it yeah. you know for all content it's worth but I still find something in it and yeah I thought it's just I think it's the best for me it's the best Sims game I didn't really like Sims three or four I thought they kind of lost because for this I almost kind of the Sims isn't the Sims without cheats for me I don't think I've ever played it <laughs> straight like with no cheats like. My favourite bit of it was always creating a house, like designing a house, building a house, decorating it, thinking what kind of family would live there. And again, it is, I'm starting to see a running theme, which I didn't notice when I picked them, but it's that use of imagination that I'm creating this family and I'm creating their drama (laughs) and I'm, you know, making my own little soap opera or maybe, you know, I want this person to be really successful, but then, oh no, what happens if they lose their job? And I was, you know, and just this kind of, this kind of, terrible maniacal godlike control <laughs> over these people and again just creating these stories and and things like that and i remember looking back at it now when you think about the kind of dlc that came with it the like the ikea and the h&m i look back and i kind of go oh my god this, i paid what for that and but i still love it it's terrible <laughs> it's the most terrible capitalist kind of it has so many 
commercial yeah. retail shop yeah. expansions it's odd almost it's it's like the most bizarre thing paying for virtual furniture and <laughs> but i just i absolutely loved it and i think almost the problem i found with sims 3 was that i didn't really like decorating because you didn't although you could kind of choose any pattern i almost found that like too much i find it really fun when you're working with more of a restriction but also that they didn't have enough styles and things like that for me personally um I, yeah, just, I just, I, it's again, it's one of those games I can just dip into at any point and just find something. And I just like how weird it is. I remember one time spending ages building a, an amazing house and populating it. And there was someone like, they moved in. And the second they moved in, one of them went to like lie on the grass and look up at the sky and got crushed by an airplane engine and died and that was like it and I was like okay cool <laughs> yes that's the thing that happens and it, I really think the sim for me the sims 2 really captured the you know you look back and it is it's a commercialist nightmare you know it's a it's it's when the sims started going from parody to becoming what it was parodying yeah very very quickly um but I just absolutely loved it. I still, <laughs> and I still do. It's one of those things. I went back because it, it was on sale on Origin. Well, it was free on Origin for a while, including all the expansion packs. And I was like, oh, I have to. I loved it so much. Yeah. And I kind of expected to go back and be like, oh, God, what was I thinking? You know? And no, it's it's still a brilliant game. You know, there's still, there's still so much to do and all this variety. And yes, it's this, terrible dystopian nightmare but i love it (laughs) (laughs) and i think for me as well like i i like every aspect of it yeah because a lot of people found like they really liked either decorating but they didn't like the life thing or they liked that they didn't like coming up a house and i think it really clicked to me because i i loved doing every single bit i loved creating the people i liked you know creating their stories their connections i liked creating the house and decorating and getting a theme or you know kind of thinking yeah. you know and kind of when you get because when you're kind of young you kind of play that like, i want to make every house the most amazing house then instead now it's kind of like okay i've created a family what would this family want their house to look like and that's what i really like doing and the fact that okay this isn't me i've you know because when you're younger you kind of create yourself over and over again you create yourself and your friends and your family yeah exactly and instead now you know you create this and you kind of don't think okay well you don't think what would i want what would this family want that i've created and and then you know playing out their story and their lives i I like every bit of it Mm. and i rarely get tired of it because you know when i've done one family i'll go okay i'll do this old That's woman. amazing. Sims has just never been able to hold my attention. Like, I'll start out with the best intentions to, you know, keep them happy, keep them fed, keep them clothed, keep them, you know, just generally like a normal family. Yeah. But it all spirals when I start getting bored and I just start fucking with them yeah. and removing stuff to yeah. make them miserable and then, you know, end up killing them all <laughs> in like a house fire or some nonsense. Is that, I think... I, I wouldn't put it if I couldn't use cheats on it. I wouldn't put it in personally. Okay. For me, for me, The Sims is about freedom. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't really care about 
you know, trying to live their life and <laughs> micromanaging and stuff like that. For me, it is just about creating these stories and these yeah. people, the houses. And, you know, I don't want a restriction on that. You know, if I, I can impose a restriction, if I really want to, and I, I do sometimes to make it that bit more interesting. But, you know, and I kind of find with games often, games in which I am imposing things on them to make it to last longer or to make it more interesting for myself, I often really love. Yeah. You know, if I've got to that point where I'm playing, you know, I'm creating boundaries for my head or for myself to kind of jump over, then I've really fallen in love with a game. I did it with Oblivion. I did it with Dragon Age Origins. You know, I did yeah. it with almost every game where I would impose something and then stick to it and try and, you know, get through the game. Yeah. And I do that with The Sims all the time. And I think, Sim, yeah, The Sims 2 is just... Yeah, I the <laughs> fact that the fact that I went back to it and kind of and still found something there and still do is I find like really remarkable because I wasn't expecting it at all. Was The Sims Two uh, where you could start out as like one character and then have have like a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or was that Sims Three? What? In what way? Like you could like you... meet people and then have like because oh, no, 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 you. Could you, you do, that do that from the start? Yeah, I think you could do that. Because a friend of mine, because I, I really don't know much about Sims. I would like play it when I was younger, and I would like obviously get bored of it and fuck around. And yeah, I didn't Kill know too people. much about it. But a friend of mine called Dan had one of the most sadistic stories about the Sims and how he would play it and how he would start out as like a normal guy and like meet other Sims characters and then invite them round and then he would ask them to come into the basement and then he would like. <laughs> paint a picture of them because you could like paint a portrait of the character and then he would lock them in the basement and they would die and then he would like because you could take the paintings and you could put them as like wallpaper on the wall yeah and then he would add the painting to the wall then like meet like someone else and then invite them down to the basement (laughs) they wouldn't notice the dead that's quite funny. I'm not gonna lie. I, I find that quite funny. <laughs> if Dan, Dan, if you're ever listening, I've I've never ever forgotten that story. It made me laugh so much. And he would just keep inviting women down into the basement, <laughs> paint their picture, and then put it on the wall. So even all these Sims characters coming in would notice all these paintings of women's faces on the wall with this pile of dead bodies in the corner. Oh. Okay, because that's the thing. You and, you know, I've done it a couple of times, so I was like, okay, this character's going to be a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you just decide that. And yeah. it's like the mechanics aren't, uh, you know, um, intricate or detailed enough to be able to just do it. You have to kind of, it's almost kind of getting around the mechanics is half the fun of like, you know, because sometimes, you know, your sim would get really sad when they killed these people because they have an order. <laughs> the morality get... is shining through. Yeah, and I just, I just, I don't know. That Again, that's part of the fun to me was always kind of like getting past what was there and just yeah. trying to push it as far as I could. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, The Sims is one of those things that just, for me, just, I don't know. I just never, I didn't play, well, I played a lot of PC games, but I didn't ever really get on with the sims i enjoyed like mucking around and installing the cheats and that kind of thing but i can never ever take it seriously much like yourself just mm. kind of bored me a little bit but it's great it's great some of the stories people have exactly. <laughs> I can't... Really, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just like 
psychopath's dream game. <laughs> Even thinking about it is killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, painting a picture of my face. I, uh, what, what are all these women's faces on the wall? What's happening? Because <laughs> that's what I found half the comedy is. It's because the Sims are so dumb and oblivious they themselves. Are. That they're, just like, they're just like admiring these pictures and just like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's one is of the amazing hard? things about the Sims is the scripting. Like, you know where the boundaries of the game is <laughs> so yeah. blatantly. They are so, so just in your face about what you can and cannot do. <laughs> but yeah, I would, again, another one for the Desert Island because I would just play it so much. Fantastic. I could make myself on the Desert Island and then create a Well, you're, yeah. going, you're going full meta because you've chosen Okami even though you are based, in, well, you're based, you're deserted in Okami. So mm. you're like playing Okami while being in Okami. And you could play The Sims while making yourself deserted in Okami. Exactly. <laughs> deserted exactly. Island Inception. And that, I think to answer the guy's question before, I think that would be the thing that would drive me. <laughs> Very good. Okay, so we're going to move on to your penultimate game. And it is, once again, very different. We've come to the, the you know, the Yay, second variety. half of the list. And each game is a variety. Is, uh, you know, it's pretty big, pretty big. We've gone from, you know, a Zelda type game to a life sim. A farm, well, well technically we had a farming sim and mm-hmm. a life sim. Kind of similar. I don't know. <laughs> but let's listen to some music. Okay, Holly, so your second to last game is a real-time strategy game developed yes. by Ensemble Studios for the PC and released on October 30th, 2002 in North America and then a week later in Europe. It's a spin-off from the successful Age of Empires series and it takes inspiration from Greek, Egyptian and Norse mythology. It received four following expansions, one of which happened to be released this year in January. Tale of I the still Dragon. haven't played it. I yeah. need to play it. I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah, I was yeah. amazed when I was reading about this because I, God, I haven't, I haven't played this game for a long I time. I thought it was a prank. I was like, <laughs> no, what? It's surely not yeah. correct. But yeah, it happens. Yeah. So. so there was a new expansion called Tale of the Dragon, which was released on January 28th, 2016, which follows the civilization of the Chinese under the rule of the Chinese gods, Fuchs, Nua, and Shen Yong. It is Age of Mythology. Holy. Yeah. Age of Mythology. I feel like any kind of really hardcore real-time strategy people are going to just be like, have their heads in their hands and be like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And of all the Age of Empires games, you went for the really weird, janky-looking Age of Mythology. But there is is reason to my madness, at least in my own insane head. Method in the madness, as they say. Yeah. And... So yeah, so basically my dad's a massive Age of Empires fan. He still plays like Age of Empires 2 
like every day has like, he played the expansion <laughs> no he literally just plays the same game i don't if like i think he could be trapped on the desert island with that one game and literally <laughs> just be the happiest person alive but but yeah so he played that and then i i like age of vampires but it never really got me i don't know i just kind of found i just kind of uh, but as soon as age of mythology came along and i could have you know pegasus as a scout you know or Leviathan, or, you know, all these, like, really... Like, how could stuff. you go back to having normal soldiers after you can exactly. have a Pegasus? Exactly, and you can you can have normal soldiers if you want, but then you could also have all this other stuff. And I also really like the kind of difference in the kind of, um, the kind of, so you had, like, Atlantean and Greek and Egyptian and Norse, and they would all have, you know, very different types of things, and I, I just love that. And also, one of the main things, because I played it a lot as a kid, and I spent ages on the, like, uh, designing the maps. It had a kind of a map editor. Yeah. So you could, like, create your own map and, yeah. you know, rivers or oceans or whatever. And I absolutely loved that. I And I, I would, and I still need to go back and do it because I wouldn't play these maps. I would literally just create towns or cities and, or like, you know, or villages or things like that. And, like, they weren't playable at all. They were literally just to create these environments. And I still like doing that, you know. It's still, you know, it's quite rudimental and it's not, you know, it's not incredibly, you know, detailed and what it does, but I just loved it. Yeah. And I really like, I feel like the campaign is difficult enough to keep me, like, interested. But then I also play a lot of the, um, you know, the just random play against the computer bit and stuff. And, yeah, it's... I feel like I needed something a bit different and it is a game that I absolutely love. I love this game. <laughs> I played it recently and oh my god that it looks awful. I mean it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't when you're kind of zoomed out and stuff it looks all right but if you go if you play the main campaign for some reason they decided to zoom in on the characters and they are literally like these little like square people with like like just like fit pictures of faces plastered onto their like weird little cylinder yeah. heads and it's just so weird but i love it so much and it's just yeah and it's it's another game where i would set restrictions and boundaries on myself uh, and play it but it, yeah it's it definitely it, was yeah. it was out there wasn't it? it was it was very strange but it almost makes sense, you know, these kind of mythologies have been based around war. Everything's based around war and history, so it almost was a natural progression to make a spin-off that was kind of a little bit crazy. Yeah, and I kind of, I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't just this kind of dour, you know, thing. It was kind of, it was kind of silly, and, you know, the mythology was, you know, it wasn't completely accurate, obviously, it wouldn't work <laughs> if it was <laughs> but it was just yeah i just again it's another one i just play for hours and i still go back to it every now and again and i just i like i like having a myth- mythological kind of um variety to it because i don't know i just find soldiers straight, straight soldiers a bit boring why can't you know well i was <laughs> I gonna say my... as a history student yourself yeah uh, doesn't it doesn't it play on your nerves a little bit that it's not historically accurate and <laughs> that kind not of thing? A, not at all. Histori- historical accuracy is one of the least bits of my concern as a history student, to be honest. <laughs> I find 
it's a bit like when you study history to get kind of boring, learning the facts and the dates and stuff is the boring part of history. Yeah. That's the, it's when you analyze it or you kind of, you know, you engage with it and you, you know, you look at sources and stuff. That's when it gets really interesting. And that's why I'm not, I'm not too bothered about historical accuracy. I think you can learn a lot from something from, not saying that age of, uh, age of mythology is this, but you know, you can just get the flavor of something, the, the, the environment, the character, just bits of that I feel is, is really interesting. And I kind of feel like people get hung up in historical accuracy and they don't really need to, you know, games have this amazing ability and they don't just have to be a textbook because we have textbooks. We have Google, you know, yeah. we don't, we don't need this kind of really restrictive view. And, you know, you can It's almost a little bit redundant in this day and age where yeah. anyone can access that kind of knowledge within also, a click of games, a button. Yeah, games are very much, you know, I think if, if a game was claiming to be historically accurate and it wasn't, that would be annoying. But it's not, you know, and it's and neither should it have to be. You know, engaging of history doesn't necessarily mean sticking to every single little detail and yeah. date and things like that. But I, I just loved Age of Mythology just because it was so silly and it was still, <laughs> and it was kind of, it was kind of straight face, so that just made it all the more silly. And I loved it for that. And I still do. And it's the kind of different aspects of it. It's the campaign, it's the playing against the computer, and the map creation. I think all of that tied together means that I just had to pick it for my desert yeah. island. Are you any good at it? Are you any good oh, at right. real-time strategy games in general? I'm, I'm okay. I used to be a lot better than I am, so I used to play a lot more. Okay. Uh, I'm okay. I'm I'm all right. I wouldn't say I'm particularly great. You can beat the computer. But... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can beat the computer. <laughs> I wouldn't pick it if I couldn't. You know, I want to feel like a king on my desert island. <laughs> <laughs> well, or a god in this. Yeah, I don't want to be the only person on this desert island and still be a loser. Like that would be the most classic thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only person here, but I still am the least sociable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm the least successful thing on this island. <laughs> <laughs> very good very good it's funny because i've not really I, I can't remember if i've even played age of mythology i think i've watched mm. friends play it and it is as you said very silly but it's also quite a little bit ugly now looking back at it oh, yeah, age of empires definitely. you know age of empires 2 is hugely successful and amazingly well known so mm. it's funny that they went in this kind of spin-off direction at the time it's very interesting yeah and i I just kind of feel it works in a really weird way. I, you know, well, Civilization I'm, Five kind of did the same thing, didn't it? You know, it went from being this mm. almost normal soldier. Well, Civ is very extravagant anyway, and in over enthusiastic with what's real and what's not. But then, mm. you know, the expansion was Gods and Kings, which was very similar, mm. not to the extent of godly powers of Zeus, but very yeah. similar. <laughs> you know, you can't get a massive Titan. No. And then walk it over and literally stamp on the buildings, which was always my favorite, my favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. So now we're going to move on to your final game, which I hear is from your favorite series of all time. Yeah, it is, and it's my favorite game of that series. So oh, yeah, it's it's up there for me. So okay, let's listen to some music.
So the final game on your list for the deserted Nippon Islands that you are trapped mm. and stuck on with your gods and your life sims and your farming <laughs> and your Western RPGs in abundance. The yeah. final game is from your final, uh, your favorite series. It's The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. Developed mm. by Nintendo's top team, the Nintendo EAD team, and directed by series director Eiji Anuma, with both Tezuka and Miyamoto working as producers, it originally released on December 13th, 2002 in Japan, with a European release coming later that next year in May, and it's the first Zelda game to appear on the GameCube and features the incredibly beautiful and distinct cel-shaded art style that was quite controversial at the time. Players yeah. take on the role of the titular character, the hero of time, Link, Stopping Ganon and Gan slash Ganondorf from completing the Triforce. Holly, the Wind Waker. Please yeah. tell me about the Wind Waker and why it's on your list. Yeah, so Wind Waker is my favorite Zelda game of all time, and it's difficult because it's definitely my favorite. Uh, uh, what's oh god, what's the word? Like console one. It's not because I love top-down two D Zeldas. It's okay. my favorite three D Zelda. Yes, and if I had to, I love. Link to the past and things like that. Yeah. But in terms of spending time with a game and kind of you know, if it's the if I could only play one Zelda game, it would be this one. And it's my game. You know, people always ask, "Oh, what's your favorite game?" And it's you know, I could I could never honestly pick one game above the rest. But my go-to is Wind Waker. Yeah. You know, I will. That's the one that I settle with and go, "Yeah, that's it." And it's for me, it's. I think the the dungeons and temples are, are brilliant. I love the world. I love the sailing. I love the islands. I love the setup. Um, I thought the Link was the one that had the most character out of any of them. You he know, had he was definitely the most expressions. His face yeah. is <laughs> it's so picture-worthy. It's a wonderful... The animators <laughs> behind Link's face in that game are... They deserved a raise for how good they, they did. They are heroes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's... It is just, and it was again that kind of. A lot of these games are ones that kind of really captured my imagination when I was yeah. younger, and it it really did. I think it's got um, the music is oh just gorgeous. It's the music is up. absolutely beautiful in it, and the variety and oh, it's just it's just a fantastic game. It's a really if you haven't played a Zelda game, then I off I would say kind of Ocarina of Time is the kind of you know go to well yes this yeah is the, and the know. 3ds port is very very good of that yeah game. but for me i think wind waker is a better game and Ooh. people will shout at me but i honestly do i think it depends I... I think i think there's an argument there if you're playing the wii u version because mm. the wii u version i think wind waker was when i was talking about pacing in zelda games wind waker suffered from it I think one of the most out of the series. See, I think I think Ocarina of Time has one of the worst pacing. I think it's really badly paced. I go back because I didn't play it when it first came out. Yeah. And I played it on uh, the Wii on the you know the e store, yeah. and I kind of was kind of like, oh okay, like, you know I could see how it's important <laughs> to what came around it and how yeah. revolutionary it was, and it's still a fantastic game, and the fact it holds up as well as it does is yeah. you know amazing. I think we, but, yeah. Sorry, for carry me, on, yeah. But for me, I didn't like the pacing and also I didn't really like the dungeons as much. I found, ah. I think for Wind Waker, it rests on how much you like the sailing. Yeah. You know, because the, the bit that they streamlined was the sailing and the kind of collecting the Triforce pieces. Yeah. And I really liked that. But I could understand 
why you wouldn't because it is you know quite slow and quite methodical and but kind of I remember playing it and kind of first going on to the sea and just look and like kind of and getting the wind perfect so you're like racing along and the kind of (laughs) seagulls playing you know flying along next to you it's just oh it's just that amazing feeling (laughs) well that's the thing is I think with the the Triforce quest because I played the well I bought the the Wind Waker Wii U uh, console mm. with the wonderful golden tint around the uh, gamepad, the beautiful little console, um, and I was really excited because I love the Wind Waker and um, in HD it looks glorious. And when I heard about the changes, I was very excited because I think one of my issues with the Triforce Quest was, unlike Ocarina of Time, although Ocarina of Time at the time in the nineties seemed like a game where you could go exploring. The boundaries yeah. now are very, very clear. Whereas Wind Waker, the boundaries were a lot more blurry because you could go to any of these islands pretty much whenever you wanted. And the exploration yeah. was a lot more, um, I don't know, li- uh, unlimited in comparison to Ocarina of Time. But the Triforce Quest almost grounded you in a game where exploration was the enjoyable bit. You know, sailing across the sea, wondering where the hell you're going to land and that kind of thing. And the Triforce Quest kind of grounded you in that bit. But I think the Wii U version addressed some of those issues and made it so you weren't bogged down doing this quest for too long. Mm. I kind of... It's difficult because I honestly don't mind it because I quite like it when you have a kind of... Almost like a breather. Okay. Almost a kind of a, kind of a bit where it kind of goes, okay, you know, go off and do your thing. You yeah. know, this is what you do. So like where you're, um, where you're a bit overwhelmed, you're like, oh, fuck, there's so many places to go. And then someone gives you like a sense of direction to go into. Yeah, and kind of a bit of a moment of kind of, okay, yeah, now now I feel like I'm going to my thing. And that, again, that kind of more open exploration. And although I know it isn't, it still feels like the biggest Zelda game to me. Although when you actually take into consideration, you know, how big the map is and what it is, it's still, like, when I went back and played the HD version, I was like, it still feels like there's so much to do. And even though I've done it all so many times before, yeah, and kind of, you know, and getting to an island and kind of looking around and going, oh, I can do this bit, but I can't get to that bit because I obviously don't have the thing for it yet. And yeah. just that, that, yeah, and that kind of openness and the fact that you could just go wherever and that less kind of linear style, it was, oh, I... It's still, it's still, I still play it and still get completely blown away by it. And that's, and I played it lots of times. And so that's, you know, that's quite impressive. <laughs> so in comparison to like other Zelda games then, what, what, apart from the exploration, like the Wind Waker had a charm to it that other Zelda games didn't really have, apart from maybe Link to the Past. But even then, mm. Zelda games traditionally are, for Nintendo games, quite dark. Very yeah. almost moody, to yeah. for lack of a better word. And then Wind Waker was like this glorious, cute little bloom-filled world, and oh, it's so glorious to look at. But what else about the Wind Waker set it apart from you know Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask or Link to the Past? Again, that kind of that openness for me was it. I, Majora's Mask, I I struggle with the time mechanic on it. Okay. I don't. I don't. Although it makes sense, and I think it's interesting for me personally, and I can understand why people would love it. But for me personally, I found it it's a bit annoying, you know. 
and with the, and I also I love the characters. I think Tetra is brilliant. You know, King of Red Lions, and obviously Link in this one actually has some kind of personality, which is nice. Um, <laughs> and this kind of and with it, even though these islands were tiny, and when you look at it, probably inhabited by like you know the biggest one is probably inhabited by like ten people max. <laughs> yeah. It still felt like this little this little world was actually existing. You know, and it, oh, I just just absolutely lovely and these people had lives and stuff and I just and again I think the art style and the colors really helped as well you know so speaking of the art style because at the time when it was announced it was quite controversial because a demo of the next Zelda game had been shown at Space World Mm. back in 2000 and it was Ocarina of Time but you know Mm. a bit more polished with GameCube engine and that kind of thing and then all of a sudden changed completely into mm. this new style. I don't know if you were a bit too young around that time to really notice. I don't know. Yeah, I was I was probably I wasn't I was probably a bit too young when it first came out to probably yeah. notice that. But it just seems insane to me that people would have an issue with it. I don't know. I can understand people don't like change. And Ocarina of Time was so huge and so successful yeah. and so brilliant that people were like, no, I just want more of this. Why can't I have more of this? And I kind of feel Wind Waker just kind of on a mechanical level you would not be able to do that that amount of water in any justifiable way at that point in time with those kind of you know on a GameCube with anything else really I think it had to be something like that you know just if you're trying to make like choppy seas with like you know realistic looking storms and that kind of thing it would be oh it would look it would look awful now if they had done that (laughs) it would look terrible you know and it's it still looks beautiful and it does. If you play the HD version yeah. or if you haven't seen it, watch a video of it because it's gorgeous. It looks like a mm. game that's come out now. It really yeah. does. It really, truly does. The art direction, it's one of those things, art direction over technology mm. winning again. It's, go- <laughs> it's gorgeous. There's no other I, word for I it. I think really. the kind of the character of it as well, I really loved. Yeah. The kind of, the kind of slightly weird kind of odd people you come across and <laughs> the design of the enemies I really liked and the kind of the fact that you'd have like enemies almost seemed like they were doing their own thing like they had the outposts mm. and they were on like these little rafts and like with like things looking out and it didn't feel like they just appeared because you were there yeah. like they were just there they were living and their I really, own life exactly and I kind of I really liked that the fact that it kind of this whole thing felt like it kind of you know, although it's you know, it's it's not it's not realistic at all. But it felt like within the construct that they'd created, it kept on going whether or not you were there. And the enemies were their own thing and not just these, you know, they they weren't just these obstacles that appeared before you at certain points on the map. Yeah. You know, although that's obviously what they are, but <laughs> they kind of the way they're designed and kind of what they're doing and their reactions, like when they don't notice you and then they notice you and they kind of go, oh no, and kind of you know, wave their arms about and panic and just, yeah, just the, the little details in Nintendo games is what really makes it for me. And I'm quite surprised when I was putting my list together, I was surprised there wasn't more Nintendo stuff on. But well, I kind of Yeah, you've like... had Harvest Moon that's published by Nintendo, it's not developed by Nintendo. Mm. Uh, the Wind Waker is, Wind Waker is the only game I think you've yeah. had developed by Nintendo that's on this list. Which I'm really surprised about when I think about it. But 
in terms of uh, how long I could play something for or how I could go back to something, I all, I very almost put Mario Galaxy yes. on there. And, because... Another gorgeous game that holds up even till now. Yeah. Although it's, it came, you know, a few years after and on the next generation of console, still gorgeous, mm. still gorgeous. Yeah, and I very almost, but I kind of thought, I don't know, I, I love Mario Galaxy, I absolutely adored it, but I'm not a big platformer person 3d or 2d you okay. know i played i played lots i'm terrible at them that's probably the main <laughs> issue i am awful at platformers you know anything that requires timing yeah. precision anything like that i'm terrible you know so and yeah and i thought wind waker for me was just it, it just yeah that kind of that kind of that kind of wow impact the style of it the character of it i really like the um islands the kind of that kind of thrill that you got when you were sailing and you get the kind of outline of an island and they could be really weird outlines you'd be like what is that you know kind of what is that or you kind of you slowly start to recognize outlines like the fairy things you're like oh it's a fairy place i can upgrade my bombs or upgrade something or other (laughs) you know that kind of feeling and the kind of i yeah i oh it's it's it for me it's it's my favorite zelda game yeah I hold it holds a special place in my heart as well. It's one of my favorite. I think I just can't get over how good it looks, and that mm. always draws me back to it. I get sometimes a little bored because I've played the opening so many times, and that's yeah. probably because at the time when I got the game, it was my brother's birthday, and he got a GameCube and the Wind Waker, and my mum obviously didn't know what a memory card was didn't know we needed uh, one okay. so yeah. for three weeks we had no memory card but that didn't stop us playing from zelda so almost every day for three weeks we played up to dragon roost <laughs> and the end of dragon roost and that was about that was about you know a good two hours to three hours worth of playtime. time yeah. even maybe a little bit more if you were finishing it and <laughs> i played the opening getting through the you know the start in the <laughs> in canon's like i forget it was called fortress um yeah and then getting on to dragon roost yeah the forsaken <laughs> fortress is the forsaken it's fortress. fun it's fun when you first do it and you're like i don't have a sword what am i gonna yeah. do and you're but like then, sneaking you know, around and avoiding spotlights and it's all a bit cool but then it becomes a bit tedious if you yeah especially like, can, when you get thrown yeah. in jail again and then, yeah oh yeah i remember i remember when i first played it and i couldn't really figure out what i was doing or what i was meant to do and just just yeah and i can imagine playing that over and over again as you did would be quite tiresome i don't think i'd want to do that (laughs) i'd probably have a save point just after that yeah just Just, just to get through (laughs) forsaken fortress yeah yeah (laughs) i I will admit when i first got the hd version i was like i kind of want to stop playing because this is driving me a bit crazy but then i got through it and then you know the game opens up and you're like oh actually no this game is fucking amazing (laughs) yeah (laughs) so just before we finish on the wind waker what about the, you know, it's one of the only Zelda games to have a direct sequel. Obviously, we had Majora's Mask for Ocarina of Time, and then we mm. had um, A Link Between Worlds for uh, A Link to the Past, most recently. Uh, and I guess Twilight Princess kind of for Ocarina of Time. Kind, yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's going to be kind of the same thing. And also, um, uh, A Link's Awakening was... Yeah. All, actually, so I'm totally wrong. Almost every Zelda game has a sequel. <laughs> But, but not, Wind Waker, but not in the same. Yeah, exact. Wind Waker more so yeah. than the others because the yeah. art style is exactly the same. It's a direct sequel, and it features it's the same. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you had Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, which were both for the DS. Yeah, 
Did you play them? Did you like them? I have played both. I really liked uh, Phantom Hourglass. There were some bits of it which were quite tedious. The, yeah. um, the, the Dungeon time... of the Ocean King or something? The one that he had to go back and and do over and over again was a bit tedious. Um, but overall, The one where you I... had like a time limit where you had to go back and like... Yes, hit the, was yeah. it hit the statue for the timer to start yeah. and then everything would, you would go through? Yeah, that was really yeah. fucking tedious. Yeah. Apart from that, I thought it was... I really enjoyed it. Uh, spirit tracks i didn't like so you're pretty much in the same the... camp as me a lot of people yeah. like spirit tracks spirit tracks is oh the, actually God. the the um, the better reviewed game and then really? phantom hourglass yeah because a lot of That's people hated to me. a lot of people hated that dungeon where you had to keep going back uh, in the middle i of can the understand region. that but yeah I, I, but I really you're like me phantom hourglass i preferred phantom hourglass and i i actually yeah. thought phantom hourglass was really good and mm. um Eurogamer recently, I don't know if you saw this, you probably did, uh, had like their best Zelda and then the mm. best reader. And Phantom Hourglass was like number seven. And I was like, yes, get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that game. It's such a great little game. And they're like, the mechanics where you use the stylus to draw the like the path on Link yeah. goes and that kind of thing. So much fun. It's really yeah. good. Really clever game. I really like that. The spirit tracks I did not get along with, mainly because I didn't like the train. I hated that train. <laughs> because what it did was it took the kind of like, it took the kind of, okay, Wind Waker, there are big gaps between things and you've got to travel there. And it was like, what about if we took away the freedom of your travel? It's like, no, <laughs> I don't want that. Stop that. And it's just like, oh, I just hated that train so much. And then, you know, the, the rational hatred of trains. I hated it. It was, it was. The dungeons were all right and stuff like that, but I don't know. I just, I just really didn't get along with it. I don't yeah. think I even finished it, to be honest. Which is rare for a Zelda game, but yeah. yeah. Well, you most recently did a podcast for Vice with yeah. former uh, Final Games guest Simon Miller, who also yes. picked Zelda games. Um, how, how, how was that? Because it's a really good podcast, and Vice are like starting to do a bit more. Mm. podcasting towards gaming how was it being like on the zelda podcast you know talking your love of zelda out there <laughs> passionately uh, it's very passionate uh, <laughs> it was good it was it was like like my dream um you know just to be able to go and just talk zelda especially talk twilight princess um yes because you just reviewed that didn't you as well yes and i think because i love twilight princess i think it's one of the most underrated zelda games um, and I will argue, as much as I love Wind Waker, Twilight Princess has better dungeons. Yes. Um, it has some of the best temples in like, any Zelda game. I will argue that. I will argue that until... I think that's you know, generally what the... I, the I fall down. Yeah, I think that's generally what the popular opinion is at the moment. Yeah, because lots um, of people... I've had lots of people say, oh, no, it's, it's really boring. I didn't like the items. I was like, that was the best bit about oh, it. Oh, God, you know? the items are amazing. You could walk on the roof. You could, like, use the spinner yeah. to like, jump. Although the spinner was criminally underused that that should be yeah. in the game more often you know you had snow peak where you face oh, off against snow the peak. old link you know yeah. you, you, snow peak is uh i think the best if i'd pick one dungeon uh snow peak uh ruins is my favorite yeah uh, i think it's amazing the fact that it's the only zelda game i went into and i didn't realize it was a dungeon or a temple <laughs> Like yeah. I went because you don't you don't have any heart drops. The only health you can get is from the Yeti suit. There's no kind of clear thing that says you're in a dungeon now. Yeah. It's just like someone's house. You just go to see this guy and it's <laughs> and a bit abandoned a and weird. Exactly, and it has unique keys, and it was just that kind of that whole thing. And 
absolutely brilliant. So yeah, that that was it was an absolute joy to be on that podcast to kind of talk to, especially with Simon, who knows, uh, yeah, you know, who's really Very knowledgeable about as well. Zelda. Yeah, he loves exactly, Zelda, and yeah. to kind of talk about that was yeah, it's it's always a joy to talk about you know a series that you love or games that you love. Well, you've sold me on it because. I was hoping I would get a review copy of Twilight Princess because I desperately want to replay it. But <laughs> I'm I'm uh, almost like weighing up whether it's worth the money to play it again. But Wind Waker HD was so good that I might just go for it. It is such a great I, game. I personally think it's worth the money because especially I only played it before on the Wii. I didn't have it on the GameCube. Yeah. So you just the to game... play it on it. You can flip between the left and right though because in the Wii version, Link holds the... Sword well, in his right hand, doesn't he? Oh, it's, yeah, because uh, obviously GameCube version left hand, and then they yeah. mirrored it for the Wii version. Yeah. Um, and but they mirrored it back, so it's it's the original GameCube version, which uh. was really disorientating for me at first because <laughs> it was like this is really weird. But if you go in hero mode, it flips it again, uh. so it, it goes to what it the you know the mirror yeah. of the original, but what it was on the Wii. Yeah. So it's a bit confusing, but yeah. <laughs> It's a little strange because hero mode is more difficult as well, isn't it? You take like double damage or yeah. something. Yeah, hero mode. Well, they have that in Wind Waker HD yes. yeah. and uh, uh, Skyward Sword. Yeah, you take double damage. There's no heart drops, uh, so you have to use potions and stuff. And I think it's a, I think it's it particularly works well in Twilight Princess because it's a slightly easier game, and also yeah. um, you collect so much money in that game. <laughs> if you have to buy potions and stuff like that, it finally like. It gives it it puts to use this kind of vast wealth that you just gather. So I think I think Hero Mode in Twilight Princess is definitely I think it's yeah it works really really well. Nice, very good. Well, that is your list. Wind Waker yeah. rounds off a wonderfully towards the end varied list. <laughs> <laughs> Ignoring all the big Western RPGs to begin with. Well, yeah. As you've explained, there is plenty there for your imagination to run wild and such such iconic games from various different parts in gaming and it's a really good list but the last thing i ask um mm-hmm. my guests is if you could have any console Ooh. with the back catalog included but now i'm changing the rules because the most recent two guests tried to pick the pc now the pc okay. is yeah. is we're we're removing that because okay, that's you okay. could possibly you could use the PC for any anything, console. Yeah. But you can have one console with the back catalogue included. What would you choose? Oh, it's a really difficult one because I kind of missed out on all the great consoles because I kind of um So would you risk it? Would you risk picking a console that maybe you know mm-hmm. is gonna be good but doesn't you you don't have that experience in? Everything would I be don't... new. But I don't you... think I could justifiably do that. I don't think I could pick a console I never had. So I don't think I could pick a PS2, although there's lots of brilliant games, because I never had a PS2. I've never played on a PS2, so I don't know. Um, in fact, no, I played on a friend's house, but I've never owned one. Yeah. But, um, oh, that's a difficult one. Maybe the GameCube. Maybe the GameCube. Now I'm Maybe thinking about it. Oh, okay. Had Beautiful Joe, had Wind Waker, had loads of great stuff in it. Ooh, but... Mm, but then, if you had 360, I have Oblivion and I have uh, Dragon Age. 
Oh my, well, we, we, would give you, we would give you those games anyway, because you can play just those games on the other oh, okay. consoles, but only, so got, only that. Okay, only one console then. Okay, that changes things, that changes things. In which case, I would probably go for... Can I go for the PS4 just because it has a lot of stuff on it? Actually, no, what am I talking about? No, it doesn't. PS3 even? <laughs> the PS3? Yeah, yes. I'd probably go for the PS3. Okay. We'll say the PlayStation 3 is yours, and you okay. can have the back catalogue of truly some wonderful games. Bayonetta, the Shadow of the yeah. Colossus HD Collection, Okami HD, the Uncharted yeah. games, many, many good games on the PlayStation 3. Yeah, it was. it's between that and the GameCube, but if I'm thinking amount of games, probably PS3. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Holly, thank you so much for appearing on the show on your birthday of all days as well. <laughs> I so do nice. apologize. I apologize so much. Is, okay, I'm literally going to be working on my birthday, so this has been a nice treat to just talk about <laughs> games for a while, and then I'll get back to reality after this. <laughs> I would sing you happy birthday, but no one wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> could do it once we finish recording. It's fine, yes, it's fine. okay, okay. <laughs> well, Holly, please tell the people, the wonderful listeners, where they can find you, and if there's any stuff that you've done recently that you would like them to check out. Uh, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Nielsen underscore Holly. Uh, Nielsen is spelled N-I-E-L-S-E-N. That always confuses people. It's written <laughs> it confused me, on... even you just spelling it out then. <laughs> yeah, N-I-E-L-S. It's like the Danish spelling instead of ah. the British spelling, so it gets people confused. It's also like, I think on my GCSE and my A-level certificate, it's spelled wrong in two different ways. <laughs> so when you so... go to prospective employers, you're like, uh, here's my certificate. Uh, I swear excuse me, me. <laughs> madam. Excuse me, madam. This does not matter match up who are you <laughs> it's like, I, I swear this is me i promise <laughs> my school was rubbish um yeah uh so i'm trying to think well i just do freelance basically so yeah. if you follow me on twitter i tweet out everything that i'm doing and stuff like that so yeah yeah most recently you did obviously the vice zelda podcast and you did yeah. the uh review for the twilight uh princess for stuff tv was it uh yeah that's yeah. the one awesome and, check that out uh, definitely yeah and check out talkie podcast yes uh, yes uh we're on we're on yeah itunes probably the best place to get us but yeah check us out fantastic fantastic okay well this has been the eighth episode of final games thank you so much to holly if you want to tweet at me or the show you can tweet at me at liam bme and at final game show if you want to email us for any reason if you have a question or you have a question of the week you can email me at finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. And also we're on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And if you have an iTunes account, please uh, rate us, review us, whatever. It all helps. And then on SoundCloud, you can subscribe and follow and that kind of thing. Also, I do video stuff that I'm doing quite constantly now. So I would love if you check that out as well. And you can check that out at youtube.com forward slash c forward slash got rare thank you so much for listening and thank you to holly for joining me i hope you join us next time and goodbye bye